glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Oh, they tackle him at the point of Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. Proud members of the Full Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me at Sports Fanatic MB on Twitter. Not only are we one of the many great shows on this wonderful network, but you can also find Jim Day of FF Champs, Adam Ronis and Dr. Roto of Sirius XM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarlane and Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great other podcasts all here on the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news and advice, and you can find all of these pods on fulltimefantasy.com. For today's episode, got Mr. Matthew Fox joining me yet again as we're going to review every single game that was played from Thursday through Monday Night Football. We'll talk about, obviously, all of the uh, injuries, big plays, possible waiver wire targets for you to target for most of everybody's waiver wires running at some point in time tomorrow. I always suggest running your waivers in the late afternoon on Wednesday so it gives everybody an an opportunity to really kind of look at their waivers and make sure that they are good with them. But a lot of them do run Wednesday mornings, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, So obviously, I mean, there's really no point waiting any longer. Let's get Matt on here. Let's talk about some fantasy football. Not fantasy football, but some NFL games and how they relate to fantasy football. And as always here lately, we've got Mr. Matthew Fox joining me today. Matt, uh, obviously being a Broncos fan, I imagine that last night was not great for you. I feel your pain as a Browns fan. Uh, But how did your fantasy weekend overall turn out? You know, it was a a mixed bag. I thought I was doing pretty well going into Monday night, but uh, I was playing quite a few people that had Texans. And uh, Raiders, a um, couple leagues, Hopkins did me in, one league real late at night, Tyrell Williams did me in, so I ended up 15 and 13 for week one. Gotcha. Yeah, so as, as we were just talking off the podcast, Hopkins really helped me out as well. I um, was t- 10 and 28 going into the Monday Night Football games, and Hopkins helped me win six, so I finished 16 and 22. So, unfortunately, not at least 500, which is what I kind of hope for every week, but still, uh, 16 winning 16 leagues is better than winning 10. So, I will take it. Uh, obviously, that too, that game really, I mean, it's easy to say we're only in week one, but was definitely the game of the year so far. That game was yeah. amazing. Definitely a lot of fun to watch. So let's go ahead and jump into talking about all of these games. We eating all day, bro. I'm hitting you every time. Every time you come as well, I'm going to hit you. I'm not going to be able to do that. You don't want no problems, bro. You are my boy. I'm a man. About to get ugly. I want to score.
between the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. The Packers winning that one 10-3 on the Packers' side of things. So, all in all, I mean, I think if we're, we're all being honest with each other, not a great game. There, there were not a lot of great games this weekend. Uh, some people want to say that's because of uh, preseason football and not a lot of teams playing their starters in preseason football. I don't know if that's really causation or correlation there, but but definitely not a great game on Thursday night. Aaron Rodgers just went 18 of 30 for 203 yards and a touchdown, finished his QB 19 for fantasy with 19.42 points. Aaron Jones finishes RB 48 with 13 carries and 39 yards and one catch for zero yards to get you a whopping 4.9 points. Devontae Adams, for the first time in an entire, well, since last season, uh, did not put up double-digit points. All of last year scored at least 15 points in fantasy, had at least 80 yards or a touchdown in every single game last year. Really struggled in this one, though I don't think all of that was on him. Just four catches for 36 yards for 7.6 points in fantasy. MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling actually had a pretty good game. Better than Adams finishes wide receiver 49 with 9.2 points uh, with 4 yards on 52 catch, or fifty-two yards. However, 47 of those coming on one play. Jimmy Graham did get a touchdown uh, in this one as well. 3 catches for 30 yards, touchdown for 12 points altogether. So, so personally for me, I think the Packers offense is going to be fine. First game out there with the new offense. Matt LaFleur playing a good Chicago defense, although we, we talked about on the preview episode yesterday, Vic Fangio leaving, and, and that was a big thing for that Bears defense. I think that's why they were as good as they were, but they still have a lot of the same players there. So you can't take too much away from, from Vic Fangio leaving them. So I do think it was a good defense, uh, and I do think that the Packers' offense will be fine. My question for you, Matt, is there's been a lot of talk about Geronimo Allison this offseason leading into the first preseason or preseason game, first season game, and the fact that he was going to be the number two on the other side of Adams. However, MVS had six targets, and Geronimo Allison had zero. MVS, we saw, put up a decent amount of points. Again, outscored Adams. I, I don't expect that to happen every week, but did this week. Do you think that MVS is securing himself as the number two wide receiver in this Green Bay offense? I think to me it's still a toss-up. Um, you know, I want to see what they do in subsequent weeks. Chicago's defense may not be on the level it was last year, although it may be pretty close because I think that had a lot to do with um, the kind of football we saw on offense last night. Part of it's not having preseason reps. Part of it's lack of conditioning. But I think part of it is both of these defenses were pretty good. The Packers put a lot of emphasis and effort into improving their defense. And I think they did that. But Chicago's defense, no slouch either. Aaron Rodgers did not have a lot of time to throw at the beginning. Um, he kind of got it a little more opened up toward the end when you see conditioning starting to wear on defenders who didn't play that many reps. Uh, practice just can't simulate that. MBS got open, got a couple of uh, passes. One of them was kind of a long bomb. To me, that's a little bit of a fluke. Um, it didn't seem like Allison got targeted that much. You don't know exactly what was going on with coverage and stuff. But, I mean, it's hard to, to overreact too much to the first game. I mean, if we were doing that, Jimmy Graham's TE won for the season because he looked like he was a big focus of their offense. And maybe maybe he will be a big piece. Um, I think it's still a bit of a wait and see. But, in my opinion, Allison is not startable until you see something. MVS probably not really startable for me except for deeper leagues either. Um, it was just kind of kind of a wash of the game. Yeah, 
yeah, something that you will hear me, and I know you touch on a well, as a lot, I think, in this podcast, because we both talked about it, is uh, neither one of us, I feel like, are going to overreact to what we saw in week one. I just don't think... I was looking at the stats, and funny enough, and I'll just talk about him now, because uh, we'll obviously talk about him later, but Deshaun Jackson obviously had a phenomenal game this week, and also did last year, but then didn't even finish as a top, I believe it was like 36 wide receiver last year. You cannot read yeah. too much into week one. It's just, you're going to have some games that we saw, obviously, in blowouts and everything, and it's you're really looking at, it's somewhere in the middle. It's not quite what we saw, but it's also not as bad as we probably think. Just don't overreact, and I think I feel like neither one of us are really going to overreact to anything except for maybe the Browns getting their asses kicked. But we'll get to them in a minute. The Chicago Bears, well, and I, especially on on Thursday, I think I mentioned this. The actual opening kickoff game, yeah, sometimes yields some of the weirdest results of the season, and I think we saw that there. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of pressure because it's the number one game. You're starting on Thursday night. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a true read on either of those teams. Yeah, and, and I mean, something we've both touched on already before in that it really feels like at least the first week and sometimes even the second week of uh, the NFL season with this limited amount of preseason snaps as a lot of these starters are getting, almost in a way feels like preseason football. You're, you're just not seeing the best out of these teams now. It seems like it takes, especially last year, it seemed like a lot of the guys that we are counting on in fantasy – don't really start producing to that week three, week four spot. So that's why, uh, like I said, I'll be saying it a lot here. I'm not overreacting to anything I saw. There's some people that I will give props to uh, that I felt did show out a little bit, but I'm not going overall out. And, and just like you eloquently stated there, Jimmy Graham being tied in one overall. Like, I'm not I, I'm not going to go that far just yet. I need to see it out of him a couple more weeks. On, uh, on the Bears' side here, so Mitch Trubisky, altogether I thought the Bears' offense looked just god-awful outside of Tariq Cohen and Allen Robinson. Uh, so Mitchell Trubisky, 26 of 45 for 228 yards and an interception, finishes QB 26 with 14.72 uh, points. Tariq Cohen uh, really got used as a receiver in this game and not at all as a running back, which is very interesting. We'll get more on that in a minute. 49 yards on eight catches to finish his RB 19 with 12.9 points. Mike Davis took a lion's share of the workload here in the backfield. Five carries on with 19 yards, did add six catches for 17 yards to get you 9.6 points in fantasy to finish his RB 27. David Montgomery, who a lot of us, including myself, were hoping would have a breakout game here uh, in his first game as a rookie, finished his RB 44 with 5.5 points in fantasy, 18 carries on six, I'm sorry, 18 yards on six carries, but did have a phenomenal catch that went for 27 yards. I thought it looked really good. And then Allen Robinson was definitely the star here of the entire offense, 102 yards on seven catches and a beautiful catch on the sideline in this one. As I mentioned, the Bears offense just really looked out of sync. Not anything I would expect out of a Matt Nagy offense. Just looked really bad. Again, Tariq Cohen seemed to be used solely as a wide receiver in this game, which was interesting. I don't know if this was because of the Anthony Miller injury we've seen all through preseason, and that's why Tariq Cohen was out there. But this is something that they use him for. I'd be interested to see if the if sites start to move him, uh, kind of like what they did with Ty Montgomery a couple seasons ago where he was a wide receiver and or had the 
availability to be played as a wide receiver and running back. Because if you're getting a guy who you can plug in as a flex spot or your running back two position that's being used as a wide receiver, that could be a huge boost for you in fantasy that we did not see coming. But uh, the Montgomery and Davis running back split was probably the most interesting thing to come out of this game. What were your thoughts on that split between those two? Yeah, I think part of the struggle is it didn't look like Chicago was able to run effectively at all, um, which might also explain why Cohen and Davis were out there getting a lot of uh, looks in the passing game. They were throwing a lot, even though it was a relatively close game. It didn't seem like Chicago could get in sync or move. Um, One of the things that you always have to have a caution with when you're talking about rookies, and especially rookie running backs, is there are aspects of the game that can take them a while to kind of catch up and get used to. One of those is pass protection. Another can be pass receiving. I know that was one of the things that really held Royce Freeman back last year. A lot of people thought Royce Freeman was going to be like what we were projecting Montgomery to be this year. You know, that guy that that was coming into a great opportunity to just go out there and be a real workhorse. But there were aspects of Freeman's game that kind of held him back and saw that Booker and and Lindsay were getting touches. I think that might be the same case with Montgomery. My hope is that as he goes further and deeper into the season, we saw him flash on a reception, which was nice, um, that they'll be able to open up holes and he'll start getting more of the action. But I think, based on what I was seeing and the rotations, it felt like Matt Nagy was more comfortable having Mike Davis or Tariq Cohen out there for a lion's share of the game. And It was very surprising how often Davis was out there, not just touches, but snaps. And I think that tells me that all the people that hope that Montgomery was a guy that you could start as an RB2 right away I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we need to give it a few weeks. Montgomery might be a guy you want to move back to your bench, see if you can have another option out there until he maybe gets his feet under him a little bit more. Because I think we all think he's the most talented of the running backs, and eventually talent will win out. But it's probably a situation where, as a young player, there are aspects of the game that he's not ready for on the professional level. And that's probably why we're seeing a veteran like Davis getting more run and Cohen out there. Yeah, I, I don't even think it's a maybe for me. I have Montgomery in a bunch of leagues. He's going back to my bench. And if Mike Davis is not owned, definitely try and grab him off the waiver wires because I do think he is going to be the guy moving forward. I can't remember the exact split share, but I believe uh, he was out there for like 80% of the snaps compared to Montgomery. It, it was it, it was a little bit ridiculous as you were talking about. I was quite surprised. I really thought it would be more of a 50-50 split, but they clearly have a lot of faith in Mike Davis, and they should. He is not a bad back. He was actually really good in Seattle last year. I think a lot of people tend to, to overlook what he did because he the same thing really in Seattle that he's doing now. He was in a timeshare with two other backs in Seattle last year, Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, and the same thing here with Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. So we shouldn't overlook what he did in Seattle because it was very good, and, and I do think that – Right now, Mike Davis is the guy. Montgomery has to go back to your bench. Uh, and if you're a Montgomery owner, if you can get Mike Davis off the waiver wire, if you're in a, a fab league or however it is, I would I would pay up a huge amount to get Mike Davis because he is likely going to be the guy for them moving forward, at least for right now. All right, so I guess it's time to talk about my Cleveland Browns. And, and I have live audio from everything that happened this weekend, so we'll just let you guys listen to that. Uh, it'll probably be more entertaining than the breakdown of the game. So, obviously, within the first drive of the football game, th- this was my reaction, just pure enjoyment. Officially turned around, guys. We are back, baby. 
We are fucking back! We are back! Can I just... Can I try something? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Huh. Woo! Woo! Pepper needs new shorts! Oh. Of course, after that drive ended, uh, things kind of turned ugly, and this is what happened after that. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure! We've come too far! There's too much to lose! We've got to keep our composure! What the fuck happened? Yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty much my reaction, unfortunately, which then finally led to this as the final whistle blew. And fuck me in a fucking ass. Fuck you, you fucking stupid cunt. Monkey fucking fucker. Fuck that. Alright. Uh, I mean, I don't. I really don't want to talk about this next game. I, I really don't. So the Titans put an absolute beatdown on the Browns Sunday. Titans 43, Browns 13. I'm gonna start with the Titans side, so. Marcus Mariota actually looked fairly good in this game, although, it, as I will state later when it gets to the Browns side of things, he, he was put on a lot in a lot of short fields here with the amount of penalties the Browns gave up. But Marcus Mariota, 14 for 24, 248 yards and three touchdowns, finishes QB 10 this week with 33.82 points. Derek Henry looked like a god among men in this one. 84 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. Also had the... One catch for 75 yards and a touchdown on a screen pass to finish as Q, I'm sorry, QB, RB3 with 28.9 points. AJ Brown had a, a good game, which I'm glad because he's a guy that I was talking about a lot in the preseason when everybody got down on him for going to the, to the Titans. I said, believe in this kid because he was the best wide receiver coming out in college, uh, and he looked really good in this one, though. Uh, three, Just three catches for 100 yards. Uh, obviously, the big one, 51, great. He caught that, I think, like 10 yards away from the line of scrimmage and did all of that work in Yak. Looked really good in this one, though. Uh, finished as wide receiver, 35 with 13 points. Corey Davis got you a big, fat zero. And then Delaney Walker... Got a little bit of that fountain of youth in him. Finishes tight end four with 22.5 points with 55 yards on five catches in two touchdowns. So for the Titans here, they looked good, but I'm not 100% sold on what I saw. Again, I really do think that the Browns' defense and penalties really helped them out in this one. Gave them a lot of short fields. Uh, obviously, horrible tackling uh, and just defensive play call on the 75-yard touchdown pass to Derrick Henry on the screen. Uh, so I'm not necessarily buying that much into Marcus Mariota and Derrick Henry. In fact, uh, I would actually try and sell high on both of them at Dynasty Leagues because I don't think either one of them comes close to doing again what they did in this game uh, the rest of the season. But what were your thoughts on the uh, on the Titans here uh, and as, how good their offense looked? Yeah, I, I, I think there's it's hard to take too much away from uh, this game. I think by the time a lot of that big explosion happened, it felt like the Browns were a little bit unspooling. Um, you know, obviously a lot of penalties for them. They lost a tackle through them off. I think they maybe just weren't a little bit ready for prime time. But Derek Henry, 
he's a frustrating player to me because I w- I've been down on him, uh, not thinking he was a great value. I know there are people that are going to look at that week one performance and think it validated everything we saw at the end of last year. But to me, we're just seeing it again. And big plays are the least sustainable thing. He had 19 carries for 84 yards. He had an 18-yard run in there. So if you took that out of it, I mean, he basically has 17 carries for 60-something yards and a pass play for 75 yards. That's not really a replicatable thing either. So I I think you kind of have to wait and see. He's always had that big boomer bust potential. looks like in this offense he's going to have that again. Mariota, I thought it was encouraging. I want to see it for a few more weeks. The biggest thing with him has never been, can he have a good performance? It's can he stay on the field for a length of time? And, I, you know, we didn't see the kind of pressure we were expecting yesterday, so we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, A.J. Brown, I like his talent. He might be in for a good year. Again, four targets, caught three of them for 100 yards. That's not exactly a sustainable rate, 51-yard, big bomb. Kind of got to see. The one that I'm most sold on leaving after that game is Delaney Walker because he basically picked up where he was in 2017. Obviously, last year, first game broke his leg, uh, missed the whole season. But before that, he had been a real reliable going to catch a handful of balls, going to get you between 50 and 80 yards, going to be a good bet to get you touchdowns. I think it looks like he is what he was before the injury, and that was the question whether this offense had evolved or whether he had gotten older and was going to slip away. He's the one that I take the most away from that game because, you know, between those Titan stars and the big stars from the Browns, I think you're going to have better weeks from Mayfield and Chubb and OBJ and Landry and Njuku. I think... They have a lot of talent. I always thought it might take a few games for them to settle into a groove with all those personalities and all that potential. And it's going to take a few games for Freddie Kitchens to settle into being a head coach. It's a big difference from being an offensive coordinator where all you have to do is worry about maximizing a couple of big playmakers to having to run the whole show and keep everything together. They need to clean up the penalties. They need to get their emotions in check a little bit. And I still think despite what we saw yesterday, Cleveland is going to be a playoff contender. I still think they're going to be in the playoffs. Well, I hope so. I I really do. All right, so we saw Baker Mayfield, I mean, in all honesty, had a fairly good game up until the fourth quarter. So 25 of 38, 285 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, ended up as QB 21 with 17.65 points. Nick Chubb, 75 carries. Oh, my goodness, 75 yards on 17 carries. Um, did add a whopping, uh, what was it? I just had it here. Three catches uh, for 10 yards to get uh, 11.5 points in fantasy and finishes RB20. Odell Beckham Jr. actually had a pretty good game here, I thought. 71 yards on seven catches. Finished as a wide receiver 29 in fantasy with 14.1 points. Jarvis Landry is wide receiver 34 with 13 points uh, with 67 yards on four catches. And then David Njoku, tight end eight, 13.7 points in fantasy, uh, got 37 yards on four catches and a touchdown. So the Browns, all kidding aside, when I was just talking about how awful they were and obviously my reactions to the way that the game was, 
18 penalties for 180 yards really hurt them on offense and on defense. They lost their left tackle midway through the second quarter when he decided it would be a good idea to kick the Tennessee defender in the face, uh, and he got ejected, at which point they had moved Hubbard over, and he got hurt, uh, and so then they were playing pretty much with a mixed and shuffled-up offensive line from the second quarter on. That really hurt the offense. Baker Mayfield was running for his life from that point on. Uh, It was a bad game all around offensively and defensively for the Browns, but I'm not reading too much into this game. I think the offense is going to be fine. They have too many talented players. This offensive line, though, I do think is going to be a huge question the rest of the season. They are going to need Greg Robinson to not get ejected and stay in the game, Uh, and this offensive line is going to have to do what they did toward the end of last year for this offense to to continue to produce the way that we all think it can. Uh, What were your just overall thoughts on what you saw with uh, the Browns' uh, performance and the way that their players kind of shit the bed, really, there in the fourth quarter uh, on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to be successful as a quarterback if you have no time to throw and you have no time to go down the field. And I think we saw that was a lot of the issue for Baker, especially with Greg Robinson coming out. Offensive line is an issue for a lot of different teams, uh, it seemed like, after week one. So I think there are better days ahead. Uh, I'm not reading too much into it. I think they have talent. I think they'll figure it out. It may just take them a few weeks. Yeah, and I mean, in all honesty, it, uh, it doesn't get any easier for them as they now go up against a Jets team uh, that also had a lot of hype coming into this year on Monday night, and they have the Rams on Sunday night the week after that. So, realistically, the Browns could, could uh, in all honesty, start out 0-3 here, which would just not be good, especially with all the hype that they've got coming into the season. Uh, the next game, we got a really good game, actually, in that early morning window, a game that I was paying a lot of attention to in the, in the St. Louis Rams and the Carolina Panthers. Uh, the Rams winning uh, 32-27 in this one. So, Jared Goff finishes quarterback 22 with 17.9 points, 23 of 39, 186 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Malcolm Brown was actually the better running back on the day, finishes running back 11 with 18 points, uh, 53 53 yards on 11 carries and two touchdowns. Todd Gurley, 97 yards on 14 carries, so still had more carries, looked good, Uh, did get one catch in four yards, but altogether just 11.1 points in fantasy. Uh, We'll touch more on that backfield here in just a second. Robert Woods led all the wide receivers here, wide receiver 18 on the day, uh, with 70 yards on eight catches. Actually, um, through most of the game, that actually caught all of his targets, and then started missing a couple there toward the end of the game. Uh, but again, finishes wide receiver 18. Cooper Cup, wide receiver 38, with 11.6 points in fantasy, 46 yards on seven catches. And then Brandon Cook's a guy that I was really thinking would have a good game here. Wide receiver 64, which is 5.9 points in fantasy, 39 yards on two catches. And then uh, we actually saw a, a, a tight end siding here in, in Los Angeles. Tyler Higby, four catches for 20 yards and a touchdown. Actually finished his tight end 11 for fantasy with 12 points. Uh, I thought the Rams offense struggled a little bit at, at first, uh, not to be unexpected there on the road against what I think is a good Carolina defense, uh, but did start to look better there in the second half. Uh, Darrell Henderson, not a factor at all, which was surprising to me as well, uh, especially with the fact that a lot of people drafted him much earlier than Malcolm Brown uh, with uh, in fantasy drafts, uh, expecting him to be the handcuff there. Brown really kind of showing up there. Uh, so, so what were your thoughts overall on this Malcolm Brown and, and uh, Gurley split here 
uh, and, and what you might think happened going forward with these two guys in this Rams offense. Yeah, well, I think the passing game uh, was fine. It's always kind of whack-a-mole with the Rams receivers. Um, I think there will be times where it's reversed and Cooks is the big guy. Uh, Tyler Higby was a tight end. Um, he got a contract extension right before the season, um, kind of pretty significant numbers uh, for a player that I wouldn't have said was on anyone's fantasy radar. And then you see him catch a touchdown a little more involved in the passing game. I would wonder if that's a sign of things to come. Want to see it a little bit more first, but the running game, we we've thought that there was going to be some kind of a split and timeshare all along the conventional wisdom among all of us. Uh, experts have been that Darrell Henderson was going to be the one getting the run really it was uh Gurley and Malcolm Brown and I am significantly concerned especially as somebody who has Gurley in a couple of teams that this is what we're going to see a little bit going forward I think they want to keep Gurley strong enough to be relevant uh when it counts down the stretch and in the playoffs and I think one of the ways they're going to try to do that is by mixing in uh, another running back and it looks like Malcolm Brown might be that running back what's Probably the biggest concern to me is Malcolm Brown was in there taking the hard goal line carries. Yeah. So Gurley had a really good yards per carry average. He put up almost 100 yards. He looked good when he was running. It's just a matter of where those carries going to come. And seeing that he wasn't really a factor in the passing game is another aspect that takes him from you know, the guy that everyone was drafting number one overall last year to a guy where you're like, well, is he an RB2? And that's a pretty big downgrade. Oh, yeah. So so one thing I will say, that the, the red zone work was my biggest concern because Malcolm Brown did get a lot of that, at least on that first touchdown. The second one, he was actually in the entire drive, which I think speaks more to what you were saying and them trying to keep him fresh. I do think that that drive was something where, you know what, Brown's looking good. He, he's running with a hot hand. We're trying to give Gurley some rest, so we're going to let him ride this out. And then he ended up running through the entire drive and then scoring the touchdown. But Gurley did look good, so I don't want to take too much away from the Brown situation just yet. Uh, but it is a little bit concerning coming off the, the work usage that both of them got, obviously, in week one. Uh, but I'm not going to panic too much on Gurley yet. Uh, but same thing, as we just talked about, Darrell Henderson was a guy that everybody thought was going to be the guy, the backup there for Gurley. So there is a chance Malcolm Brown is available on waivers. Grab him if you can, if you are or not the Gurley owner, because he's someone who's definitely going to have fantasy value moving forward, especially if Gurley does kind of suffer any kind of injury. On the Panthers' side of things here, uh, really not a great game overall for the Panthers, at least for most of it. Uh, they did kind of really turn it up there at the end of the third quarter and throughout the fourth quarter, but Cam Newton struggled through most of this game. Uh, so Cam Newton, 25 of 38 for 239 yards and a interception. Um, did add uh, actually negative two yards rushing, so that didn't help you at all. Finished Q- as QB 28 with 13 points in fantasy. Christian McCaffrey continued his amazing run from last year and just balled out this week, finishing his RB1 overall with 42.9 points, 128 yards and two touchdowns on 19 carries, and then uh, 81 yards on 10 receptions in the air. Just phenomenal, dude. This kid is ridiculous. Uh, and then the wide receivers, who we had a lot of hope for. DJ Moore did not have a horrible game here. Finishes wide receiver 30 with 14 points, 76 yards on seven catches, but Curtis Samuel, a guy a lot of us were pumped 
jumping up. Uh, thinking was going to take a step forward this year and be a viable wide receiver, too, for fantasy. Uh, again, don't want to read too much into it, but not a great way to start off the week uh, or the season. Wide receiver 62 with 6.2 points, uh, just 32 yards on three catches. Uh, and again, much like the, the Rams offense, the, the Panthers started off really slow, did not get going really to the back end of the, the second half. There uh, and there was a lot of hype coming in this game for for McCaffrey, Moore, and Samuel. Obviously, McCaffrey produced, and I do think that Moore produced as well. Uh, both those two, I think, being really the only solid starters that I would feel good starting every week at this point. I think for Samuel, you, you got to let it play out. You got to get that first big game from him before you'd be willing to uh, to start him every week. Uh, but Matt, you had some concerns about uh, Cam. Uh, what was it about his game that concerned you this week? Well, you know, I think there's a couple things that I would take away from this. One, if I'm a Panther fan and a McCaffrey owner, if they don't start to get some balance and they don't start to get some other stuff going on, you would worry about him. He's not the biggest guy, um, and that was one of the concerns. You know, could he be that every down workout course? He's not a huge guy. Um, that's a lot of punishment to take, uh, and they they need to we need to see if they can develop more flow in the offense but one of the biggest uh, disparities between you and I when we were doing the preview is our position on the camp, on the Panthers i thought that they were in for a rough season largely because i don't think cam newton looked right or is right yet and it's early so you, you know i don't want to claim a victory on that uh, in its entirety but some of my concerns about the Panthers were what were we going to see from Cam. And as Cam goes, so goes the Panthers. We saw that last year Cam was in a real group to start the season. They were 6-2. and two. He fell off, and they ended up winning only seven games for the entire season. Um, I think it's a legitimate concern looking at how he played yesterday and how he's been faring. They don't have a lot behind him, and that's really going to kill the value for tight ends or for either of those receivers if you don't have a quarterback that can do much. Um, to me, Cam is a guy that I'm not feeling comfortable starting for at least next week, but maybe longer until we see something that gives us a glimmer of hope that he's going closer to the old Cam Newton. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I can't argue with you on that point. Again, I, I do want to say some of that I do think is probably has to do with the Panthers' defense. Or not the Panthers' defense, sorry, the Rams' defense. They obviously had a really good defense last year. I don't think took much of a step back this year. And uh, as much as I hate to say it, I don't think we're going to see much uh, that's going to help decide if it's if it's Cam or the defense they played through the next couple weeks because they have the Buccaneers, the Cardinals, and then the Texans. Uh, none of which are, are known to have very good defenses. So the next three weeks might be good for Cam and this Panthers offense. Uh, the real test coming uh, against the Jaguars after that in week five. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, next week, Thursday night game against the Buccaneers. Uh, always division games are usually pretty close, but it might be a chance for Cam Newton and this offense to get a, a good well game after a, a tough Rams defense and a, a tough opponent to play in week one. But definitely worth monitoring. Uh, next up, we've got the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, was not really much of a game at all. Giants 17, Cowboys 35. On the Giants side, you know, I'm going to continue to say this. I don't think Elon Manning looked that bad, especially when you, you look at the weapons he has around him uh, and, and how, I would say, poor that offensive line is. 
Uh, he, he finishes QB 14 on the week with 25.84 points, 30 of 44 with 306 yards and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley just continues to prove he is an absolute stud. 120 yards on 11 carries. Um, he added uh, 19 yards on just four catches there in the receiving game to finish, again, his RB12 with 17.9 points. Cody Latimer actually stepped up big here for the wide receivers. Not a guy anyone, I'm sure, was starting. Wide receiver 45 with 10.4 points, 74 yards on three catches. Sterling Shepard, who was put into the concussion protocol uh, Monday. Wide receiver 46 with 10.2 points on in this one. Uh, 42 yards on six catches. We'll see if he'll be available by Sunday. Uh, and then the other guy who really stepped up outside of Barkley, Evan Ingram. We saw him kind of return to form a little bit from what we saw just a couple seasons ago. Uh, finishes tight end one on the week with 28.6 points. Uh, 116 yards on 11 catches and one touchdown. Uh, obviously, but Barkley continues to dominate Shepard, as I said, in the concussion protocol. I'm really worried about both of these wide receivers, though. Uh, and, and Well, Ingram, I guess, in a way, kind of proved that he might be quarterback-proof. But when Shepard comes back, Tate, I don't think either one of these guys are going to do much with Manning. I do think it's going to come down to when Daniel Jones becomes a starter. We saw Jones come in at the back end of that game uh, when it was already kind of the game was over with. They were trying to get Daniel Jones some reps. Uh, where are you at on when you think Daniel Jones finally steps in? I know Pat Shermer, I believe, said when they're out of playoff contention, Daniel Jones will start. Do you think he starts before then or when the Giants are actually eliminated from the playoffs is when we'll first see Daniel Jones taking some snaps under center? Well, I mean, based on how the Cowboys and the Eagles looked yesterday, the, the Giants could be out of playoff contention in early October. Yeah, so, that's uh, true. you know, I, I think we'll probably see him at some point. I think it's going to be a while yet. Uh, for some of the reasons that you expressed, their receiving core is an absolute nightmare. Their line's not that great. Uh, I continue to think the only people that I feel good starting week to week basis for the Giants right now are Barkley and Ingram. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's no way I disagree with you on that. For the Cowboys, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm going to say it right here. Uh, do not read too much into this offensive output right here. I, I, as someone is a Cowboy hater, I will give them a lot of props. They dominated this game on offense, and I do think some of that has to do with Kellen Moore. Uh, this guy has been, has been touted as an offensive genius, uh, a kid who came into uh, Boise State. Uh, and as an 18-year-old, learned their entire playbook. For anybody who remembers Boise State back in those days, like I do, very complicated offense. It was not something easy. So for someone to come in as an 18-year-old and learn that entire playbook and memorize it, that's pretty good. You, you have to know what you're doing. Former quarterback has played in the NFL. He is getting a lot of props, as he should, for what he did with this Dallas Cowboys offense. But again, they played a poor Giants defense. Let's not read too much into it, but a really good game overall. Dak Prescott. 25 of 32 for 405 yards and four touchdowns. Finishes QB2 on the week with 47.65 points. Zeke Elliott came back and got a lot more work than I thought he would. 13 carries for 53 yards and a touchdown. Just one catch for 10 yards uh, to finish his RB16 on the week with 13.3 points. Michael Gallup, the best wide receiver of the group, at least fantasy-wise, and a guy that me, um, me, 
and Dennis both picked as a breakout star in this offense. He's actually the reason why I've been saying I don't think Amari Cooper has a good year, uh, as many do, although obviously had a great game here. Uh, but Michael Gallup, 158 yards on seven catches to finish his wide receiver 14 on the week with 22.8 points. Amari Cooper finished just one spot behind him, wide receiver 15 with 22.6 points, 106 yards on six catches and one touchdown. Randall Cobb. A guy that I don't want to read too much into, but a guy I did not think was going to do well coming over into the this offense, at least through one week, has looked really good. Finishes wide receiver 20 with 16.9 points, 69 yards on four catches, uh, got a touchdown on a 25-yard play that was all his doing as well. Really good play by Randall Cobb. And then Jason Witten and Blake Jarwin both showed up at the tight end position. Witten, 15 yards on three catches and a touchdown. Jarwin, 39 yards on three catches and a touchdown as well. Blake Jarwin, all four of his touchdowns have come against the Giants. So that that's definitely something to watch. Next time they play the Giants, make sure to put Blake Jarwin in your tight end position. So again, Cowboys offense looked really good. Kellen Moore looked like an offensive genius. I would just say pump the brakes a little bit. Giants are a really bad team. However, if you have any of these Cowboys... Don't be afraid to start them for at least the next couple weeks because they have an extremely weak schedule. As, as we have uh, kind of started or talked about uh, here in the past couple weeks, the Redskins and the Dolphins next before they play the Saints in week four. So likely going to get close to the same output the next couple weeks from them. Matt, what was your thoughts on Dak and his connection with uh, his two stud wide receivers in this game? Well, I... All offseason, I've been kind of high on Dallas in their passing game. I thought they had the potential um, of doing, you know, obviously you can't project that they're going to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns every week, but I thought there was some potential for this to be a pretty good uh, passing year. One of the benefits uh, to them is that Zeke Elliott's back for the regular season, but he was gone for all of training camp, so they had that time to really gel and work on the passing offense, and I think you saw it is in a lot better shape than it was when it started last year. I like Dak. I think he's underrated. Um, He's a quarterback I've taken in a lot of places. I don't think you can expect this kind of production every week, but I think that Dak is going to finish as a QB1 this year, and I really like Cooper. I like Gallup. I think Cobb gives them another weapon. I think what it really does is they have so many pieces on offense now you can't double down on any of them and if people try to stack the box and take Elliott away I think we saw yesterday you're going to get killed in the passing game and if you drop back into coverage they can easily go to Elliott running the ball or dumping the ball off to him so I think they're a really dangerous team and they might be a team after watching week one that I feel like I was the most wrong on I think that they may actually be a serious contender in the NFC this year. Yeah, I mean, I had him just outside the playoffs finishing 8-8, eight and eight, uh, just because I believe Philly has the better overall team, uh, but I'm right there with you. As someone uh, who, who has talked bad about the Cowboys multiple times on this podcast, I, I would not be surprised if they make a serious run at a Super Bowl. So I kept saying they needed to re-sign Zeke, because I don't think personally without Zeke, they are a Super Bowl team, but with him, they definitely are. Uh, I, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. The only thing is, I hope Amari Cooper does not finish as a top 10 wide receiver because I've made too many bets saying that he won't, and I don't want to lose a lot of bets this year. So 11 or 12 is fine, but don't finish top 10 for me, Amari. Let's talk about another offense that, again, just blew 
blew the blew the roof off this week. Uh, and again, I don't think it's going to be quite as good as what we saw. But the Ravens against the Dolphins. Ravens fifty nine. Dolphins ten. <laughs> Just a complete dominant performance again against a really bad team. Though, and I do think that that should not be overlooked in this one. So Lamar Jackson finished as the number one quarterback overall in fantasy. Went 17 for 20, 324 yards, five touchdowns, and just three rushes for six yards on the ground. Uh, Finishing with uh, 47.81 points in this one, Mark Ingram finishes RB9 with 22.7 points, 107 yards on 14 carries, uh, and two touchdowns. Nothing really in the receiving game for him, though. Willie Sneed finishes wide receiver 37 with 12.10 points, uh, 41 yards on two catches and a touchdown. Miles Boykin, wide receiver 57 with 7.5 points, did get a touchdown in this one, just one catch for five yards. Mark Andrews finishes tight end three with 24.8 points, one touchdown on eight catches and 108 yards. And then Marquise Hollywood-Brown finishes wide receiver four on the week with 147 yards on four catches and two touchdowns. The first rookie in NFL history to have his first two plays our first two catches beat two touchdowns for over 40 yards. So phenomenal game for Marquise Hollywood Brown here again. Ravens played a bad team. I believe that this offense is going to be much better than we were giving it credit for. Lamar Jackson, as much as people want to give him crap for not being able to throw the ball, he did throw some really good balls in that game. I cannot deny that. Some of the throws that I saw were amazing. Uh, looked a lot better throwing the ball back in the pocket. The one thing I will say couple of the throws, especially both of them to Marquise Hollywood-Brown, he had all day back there. I mean, he literally walked off the field, got some lunch, came back, and then threw the ball. It was that bad. When you're given that much time for a guy like Hollywood-Brown, who is one of the fastest receivers in the NFL, he's going to come open eventually. You can only cover for so long. That's why a lot of people talk about defensive linemen and, and, and the secondary are like a married group in the fact that if the, offense, if the defensive line can put enough pressure on the quarterback, those defensive backs do not have to hold coverage as long and they're able to make big plays when you're not getting any pressure on the quarterback like Lamar Jackson whether you can throw the ball or not wide receivers are going to get wide open and you're going to be able to hit them so I'm not going to read too much into this performance but I was pleasantly surprised with what Lamar Jackson did and this Ravens offense Uh, what was your takeaway from Lamar and the Ravens offense just completely dismantling the Dolphins yeah, obviously the competition plays uh, into it quite a bit. Um, so want to see what they do in a follow-up week. Kind of disappointed we didn't get to see any uh, real flashes from Justice Hill. I thought in such a blowout it would have been nice to get him on there. But you can see he's definitely well down third in the pecking order. Uh, Ingram looks like he's about what we thought he was. Uh, Hollywood Brown, very good start. Um, you know, with those kind of huge plays, especially one that's 83 yards, a little fluky. Um, so, but, uh, you know, he could be in for a good season. I think Mark Andrews uh, looked really good. I heard on NFL Network this morning, they were talking on the radio uh, that Jackson was 10 for 10 on yeah. throws to tight ends. Um, that's a really great sign if you are a Mark Andrews believer. Uh, I think he's in for good things to come. They said Lamar Jackson spent all offseason working on his throwing. A lot of us uh, were skeptical of that. I was incredibly skeptical about Lamar Jackson and his value, and I don't think we're going to see what we saw on Sunday every week, but I think he does look like a viable passer. I think we all 
uh, all of his doubters owe him a little bit of an apology. Um, he looked pretty good, and you know he looks like he's got a talent for throwing the deep ball. Um, that can help bail you out a lot too. And the best thing I think, if you're a Ravens fan, he did it all passing without really spending a lot of time trying to run the ball. Uh, he only had three attempts for six yards. Running wasn't a big part of what he's doing now. Of course, people have talked. The Dolphins have one of the worst rosters in the history of football. They put no attempt on pressure. So we need to see, is Jackson going to be able to hang in the pocket and make those reads when he's under some actual pressure? I mean, Robert Griffin III came into that game with 6-6 six of six for 55 yards and a touchdown. So that kind of tells you a little bit of where they were at with the competition. But it was a great first set. If I'm a Ravens fan, I'm feeling pretty good this morning. Yes, and what you said right there is exactly why I will not apologize to Lamar Jackson just yet. I, I need to see it more because this you have to, I think, take in account for who he was playing against. And unfortunately, much like we were just talking about with the Panthers, I don't, and the and the Cowboys really, I don't think you're going to see much of a difference next week when they go against the Cardinals. Their first test, I think, is going to come against the Chiefs, possibly the Browns, Steelers, like that. That run right there, and then the Seahawks soon after that. So Lamar Jackson in this Baltimore offense looks prime for at least the next couple of games to to do a lot of damage. On the Dolphins side of things, I mean, I don't really know if there's much to get into here. Ryan Fitz, no. tragic, quarterback 25, 15.7 points, 185 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Kenyon Drake, RB50, with 4.7 points, just 12 yards on four carries. Um, yeah. You know, Kalen Balazs did not look good at all, running back 61. The two players that I thought looked the best out of, and I guess we'll, we'll go there, is uh, Devontae Parker, 75 yards on three catches. So playing with his first really good quarterback actually showed something. So we've seen the flashes of this in the preseason. Not a lot of flashes of this in, in the uh, the actual NFL season, so I was a little surprised by that. And then Preston Williams, a guy that Dennis and myself have been talking up all offseason, three catches for 24 yards and a touchdown in this game, finishes wide receiver 40 with 11.4 points. Uh, I mean – Really, for me, Preston Williams in a deep league is the only guy I'm willing to start at this moment. I'm moving Drake to my bench. I don't think Balazs is that good at all. Do you have anything you want to say on this Dolphins offense? No, in all deference to our uh, good friend John Hamlers, who's probably the biggest Devontae Parker truther in the history of time, yeah. I actually come away from this game thinking there is no Dolphin that I feel comfortable starting. Right. Uh, you know, Preston Williams might have some good games. Devontae Parker might have some good games. We know, uh, if nothing else, Miami's going to be chucking it a lot. But they can't protect. They can't run. Um, I think if there wasn't so much garbage time here you might not have even seen the numbers that you saw fair enough before we move on to the next game though i do want to touch on mark andrews that you were talking about uh the 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 stuff that you heard on the nfl network the one thing that does scare me about mark andrews and i was one of the people who was pumping him up as a tight end sleeper this season played the least amount of snaps out of all three tight ends that he was do, uh, splitting with hayden hurst and nick boyle in this one that does worry me a little bit at least right now but Mark Andrews is, at least in my opinion, the most talented out of the three tight ends. He was my favorite tight end coming out just a couple years, or just last year, actually, from the NFL draft. So uh, I loved Mark Andrews, and I do think that he is the solid play in this tight end group, but did not get a lot of snaps, which which should be something to watch for, because if they do keep Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle in there, you're going to get limited looks for Mark Andrews. 
Uh, the next game, we had the, the Atlanta Falcons losing to the Minnesota Vikings. The Falcons just getting you 12 points altogether with the Minnesota Vikings putting him 28. So on the Falcons side of things, uh, you know, really much like uh, the Panthers and Rams, a lot of their points coming in the fourth quarter. Matt Ryan finishes QB 12 on the week with 30.8 points. Uh, 33 for 46, 304 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Devonta Freeman had a rough game here. Finishes RB42, which is 5.6 points, 19 yards on eight carries, and then added 12 yards on three catches. Julio Jones salvaged his day with a touchdown. Wide receiver 22 with 16.6 points. Uh, again here, just 31 yards on six catches, but did get the touchdown. Calvin Ridley, 64 yards on four catches and a touchdown as well to finish his wide receiver 23 with 16.4 points. And Austin Hooper, tight end five with uh, 16.7 points, 77 yards on nine catches. Uh, The Falcons offense, again, as I stated, really got going in the fourth quarter, so I'm not really worried about any of those players, and especially Freeman. Uh, I think game script really kind of played him out of the game in the first three quarters with as quickly as they got behind against Minnesota. Minnesota controlling the clock, running the ball 33 times in this game. Uh, The only thing that worries me a little bit about Freeman was his lack of passing down work, just three targets in the passing game. Uh, So that's my biggest fear with him. On the Vikings side of things, so Vikings return to uh, what I was calling 1950s football there, running the ball 33 times compared to just passing it 10 times. Yet Kirk Cousins still actually put up, I guess, somewhat decent points. Uh, He finished as QB 20 in fantasy with 18.32 points. 8 for 10, 98 yards, 1 touchdown. Did get a rushing touchdown as well, which is what I think really kind of saved his day. Dalvin Cook had a huge game for his first game back fully healthy. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, 111 yards on 21 carries and two touchdowns, added just nine yards on two catches for 26 points. Adam Thielen, a touchdown salvaged his day, wide receiver 33 with 13.3 points, uh, 43 yards on three catches in the touchdown, and then Stephon Diggs really just kind of looked out of it in this one. Wide receiver 65, 5.7 points, 37 yards on two catches. Uh, Again, The biggest thing that worries me about this is if they're going to continue to run the ball the way they did in this game. I imagine they can't run the ball 33 times like they did in this one, but if they continue to be a more run-heavy offense, it's going to hurt Kirk, Diggs, and Thielen. Diggs, I think, got hurt a little bit more in this game because he came in hurt with the hamstring issue. If you go back and look at his stats in the games that he has played where he has been hurt, he has consistently put up five points or less. He's never gone into double digits. So for those of you who started him, you should have been expecting a, a, a slower game for Stephon Diggs dealing with the injury. Uh, but but I do think that is a little worrisome uh, with the amount of times they're wanting to run the ball. And, and if you are a Cook owner, you need to own Alexander Madison. He looked legit in this game as well, running the ball 49 yards on nine carries. Uh, looked really good. Almost scored a touchdown. Got pushed out on the one-yard line. Dalvin Cook's injury history alone should to drive you to go pick up Alexander Madison, whether you own him or not. Matt, do you have any thoughts on this game, or would you like to move on to the Bill and Jets? Yeah, I don't think we learned a ton about either team here. Um, kind of, It was a strange game. Um, I think we probably would have seen Cousins throw more if the Falcons were able to make any kind of run earlier. It might be a sign, though, that the Vikings' defense has returned to some of that 2017 form. 
All right, so the Bills and Jets, the Bills pulled out a big victory here, 17-16. to uh, Really came back from behind in this one where, where they looked like they were not uh, really going to do much of all of anything in this game. Uh, and then, as I said, pulled off the win. Josh Allen, 24-37, 254 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions to finish this QB 17 with 23.9 points. Did add 38 yards on 10 carries and a touchdown rushing. Devin Singletary, I think, looked phenomenal in this game on limited work as well. So just four carries for 70 yards and 28 yards on five catches to finish as RB13 with 14.8 points. John Brown, surprisingly, looked really good on the Bills side for me. 123 yards and a touchdown on seven catches. And Cole Beasley, 40 yards on five catches as, as their slot guy. Singletary, I mean, my goodness, if they would have given this dude some run in the first couple quarters, what he could have done looked phenomenal. A guy that not just me and Dennis, a lot of people in the industry have been talking up all offseason. A lot of us thought LeSean McCoy would get cut. He did, and Singletary jumped in and took this role and is not looking back. I think this dude is a rock-solid, at-worst, high-upside RB2 the rest of the season, especially with the way the Bills want to run the ball, looked really explosive in his small workload here uh, and John Brown I think was a really interesting uh, pickup for the Bills I wasn't really sure and sold on him but he's a guy if he's available you need to go grab him a guy who who is very good at running deep and has a quarterback who loves to throw the deep ball John Brown might be worthy of a flex start in your leagues every single week uh, Matt do you have any thoughts on the Buffalo Bills you know, I actually watched a lot of this game because I'm a, a big Le'Veon Bell fan. And honestly, toward the end of the third quarter, when C.J. Mosley got injured, yeah. this game shifted radically. Almost all of Singletary's carries came after that. So I'm going to take a little bit of the wide open space he found with a grain of salt. A lot of John Brown's damage came after that, too. And it looked like the Jets were simply confused on defense and were blowing a lot of coverages. John Brown's touchdown, in fact was a total whiff by the defensive back. Um, so I don't know if I'm taking away a lot of positives for the Bills. This was a game that the Jets gave away. Um, if you watched much of this game, Josh Allen looked pathetic in yeah. the first half. He turned the ball over four times. That's going to be a real problem going forward. The Buffalo Bills' saving grace is that they have an incredible defense, and that defense was able to keep the Jets bottled up, uh, and the Jets' uh, kicker was terrible. He shanked an extra point. He missed a couple makeable field goals. I think this game could have easily gone a different way, and I think some of the stats and some of the impression that you get from Buffalo looking at a box score is inaccurate to what I saw in that game. Uh, I didn't come away very impressed with Buffalo's offense, but they have an incredible defense, and that always gives you a chance, and I think that's what we saw in this game. All right, fair enough. I, I still am going to be high on Devin Singletary from what I saw. I know that Mosley was out when he got a lot of his run, but still, I just I don't think 17 and a half yards a carry can can be attributed to one guy being out on defense. So maybe the John Brown thinks I actually did not see his touchdown, uh, so I don't know if it was a, a huge blow in the in the coverage. I, I would still think. He's got some flex value just due to the fact of what he likes to do and what Josh Allen can do. For as inaccurate as he is close to the line, he is a very good deep ball thrower, uh, and, and that's obviously all that John Brown really does. So I still think Brown has some flex value, but I will take your word for it that it was more of a fluke than, than anything John Brown did 
uh, in that game. Now, you talked about how the Bills had bottled up the Jets, and you were not kidding. Sam Darnold, 20 of, 28 of 41 with 175 yards and a touchdown, finishes QB 18 with 22 points. Le'Veon Bell, though, had a fairly good game for his first game back in, I believe it was uh, uh, 500, not 500, yeah, 500 something days, something like that. Well, they said it was more than 600 days on the broadcast, which was it? sounds about right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, more than 600 days. Uh, RB8 with 23.20 points, 60 yards on 17 carries, added 32 yards on six receptions, and a phenomenal touchdown grab where Sam Darnold underthrew it just a little bit, and he, uh, as the Monday Night Football crew puts it, Randy Moss, the defender, went up over him and got it. It was a really good catch uh, for him. Uh, and then Jamison Crowder, a guy that I've been talking about a lot this offseason, this guy I thought was going to be a surprise in this offense, at least while he was healthy, proved me right, so I'm glad about that. Finishes wide receiver 11 uh, on the week with uh, 24.3 points, got one carry for four yards, and then finished with 14 catches on 99 yards. Uh, obviously, they looked, uh, in my opinion, fairly shaky outside of Bell from what I saw. Again, Crowder being the dump-off guy looked really good. Uh, I think that him and Darnold showed a really good connection there. Uh, again, a lot of that, I'm sure, comes back to what the Bills' defense did. I did not get a chance to watch a watch a lot of this game. So from what I'm hearing from you, it seems like a lot of this should be contributed more to what the Bills' defense did than what the Jets' offense did wrong. One thing I will say, Le'Veon Bell looked back from everything I saw. There was a lot of reports coming into this game that he would be splitting time with Ty Montgomery. That did not happen at all. It was all Le'Veon no. Bell. I believe, if I remember the stat... He, he played 100% of the snaps. They that's, said 70, it's all 72 snaps. So. That's, that's what I was about um, to get to. I heard that on the radio yeah. earlier today. So clearly Le'Veon Bell is back, and as long as he is healthy, you've got nothing to worry about there. Uh, do you have any takeaways from the, the Jets' offense? Yeah, I think Bell and Crowder looked good. I think it's hard for a guy like Robbie Anderson to be effective when um, they had to throw short a lot. Uh, Sam Darnold didn't have a ton of time in the pocket. So offensive line might be a little bit of a concern uh, if I was a Jets fan. I wasn't that overly impressed by the game plan or the play calling. Um, but, you know, it's week one. I think they're easing into it. I think there's reasons for optimism. The Jets and the Browns were my two wild card picks in the AFC, and both of them I thought lost games week one that I thought that they would win. Um, kind of blown opportunity, but I still think the Jets are a team that's capable of winning nine or ten games. They need to get C.J. Mosley back. They need to get Quinn and Williams back. Both those guys went out injured in the front seven for the for the defense, and that's going to be an issue. But um, I like their potential. They're young. They're going to grow. I think it's going to take them a few weeks, but... Um, I think this could still end up being a special team. Yeah, and just the, the Robbie Anderson thing, I do think Robbie Anderson is still a, a viable wide receiver too. The one thing that worries me about Robbie Anderson and why I've been so high on Jamison Crowder, he has they have the Browns next week, which likely means he's got Denzel Ward. You can say whatever you want about that Browns defense. Denzel Ward is a lockdown cornerback. They then have the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore, another lockdown cornerback. Then they have the Eagles, and their secondary did not look great, obviously, against the Redskins here in Week 1, but still a fairly good group. Uh, and then they have the Cowboys and Byron Jones. So they have a pretty tough – and then they have the Patriots again. So And then the, the Jaguars and Jalen Ramsey. So – you have a lot of very tough matchups throughout half the first season there against Robbie Anderson. Love Robbie Anderson. Think he, he is a, a very good wide receiver for fantasy. Uh, but if it were me, if 
Jamison Crowder is available. I'm picking him up, and I'm using him for these first couple weeks because I do think Sam Darnold is going to have to check down to him a lot, uh, especially with some of the matchups uh, that Robbie Anderson is going to face here in the in the next five weeks, actually. Uh, so the next game we're going to talk about is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Kansas City winning this one 42-26. For the, the uh, Chiefs side, Patrick Mahomes continues to look good, although regressed, only three touchdowns, on pace for 48. So what a bum, right? Guy, guys coming back to earth on this one. Uh, 378 yards, 25-33, three touchdowns, finishes QB5, 39.57 points. Damian Williams, uh... If you were just looking at the box score, I, I can't remember if you said you had watched a lot of this game. I was flipping back and forth between this one, so I watched a lot of this. Uh, was um, I would say is not quite, or his fantasy points are not quite what I saw in the game personally. So 26 yards on 13 carries and a touchdown, but did add 39 yards on six catches. Finished as running back 10 on the week with 18.5 points. LaShawn McCoy finishes RB 26 with 10.3 points, 81 yards on uh, 10 catches and add, or 10 rushes, added one catch for 12 yards. Sammy Watkins, wide receiver one on the day, 198 yards on nine catches and three touchdowns. Dude was ridiculous, although a couple of those, one broken coverage, the second one was still a little bit of a broken coverage, but a great play uh, to score that second touchdown. I did not see the third touchdown, so I can't comment on that. Travis Kelsey, a little bit of a quiet day, somewhat. 88 yards on three catches. However, he should have had a touchdown had Patrick Mahomes not tried to do his stupid no-look pass where Travis Kelsey was standing wide open in the end zone. And for whatever reason, Patrick Mahomes decided he was going to look in the middle of the field and do a no-look pass and completely missed wide open Travis Kelsey. So, Kelsey owners, uh, if you want to be mad for the somewhat subpar game for Kelsey, you can be mad at Patrick Mahomes on that one. So, uh, I mean, like I said, Chiefs offense, they looked explosive. Started a little bit slow, but, but really kind of leveled off back into what we saw last year. Sammy Watkins' career night or career day. Personally, I don't think that happens, uh, but he will definitely have to step up now with Hill being sidelined for six to eight weeks. Definitely ups his value. The real question, we talked about it a little bit on Monday's podcast, can Demarcus Robinson or Miko Hardman step up in place and be a viable fantasy asset for the Chiefs? What do you got on the Chiefs offense? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the real question. We didn't see either of those guys uh, really do much uh, in the game on Sunday. Somebody's going to have to step up. I think Robinson had one catch for no yards. Hardman didn't have a single catch. Um, you figure one of them is going to come into play. Sammy Watkins not likely to go for 200 yards and three TDs every game. Another question, it's reasonable to wonder. Uh, Mahomes came with a little bit of an ankle ding. That can be the kind of thing that's worse in subsequent weeks than it is in the game where you get hurt. Um, but, I, you know, he's still expected to play. He's still, you got to roll him out there if he goes. Uh, in the running back situation, I think there was a thought that Williams might end up being more of a valuable piece of the receiving game and McCoy might be more of a valuable piece as a runner. And that certainly seems like the roles they're kind of sinking into. They had about a fairly even split, but McCoy uh, looked a little bit better as a runner, had a long 31 yard run that skews his stats. So nine for 50 otherwise, but um, he looked like he might've done a little bit better and more comfortable as a runner. And even at the end of last year, when Williams stepped in after Hunt was gone, he was much more effective as a receiving threat 
than as an overall rushing threat. So that might be the roles that they're settling into. But Kansas City offense is going to be going to have four or five people that you want to play every week. Uh, it might just take us a couple weeks to figure out who some of those other ancillary flex plays are. Yeah, and I'm right there with you, McCoy. That's why I said uh, Damian Williams' stat line was a little bit deceiving. From the parts of the game that I was able to watch, McCoy, to me, looked better coming out of that backfield than Damian Williams did. Uh, but I do agree with you. Damian Williams is, is likely going to be the better receiving back and, and use more in that game than LaShawn McCoy was, and we did see it in the game uh, on Sunday. For the Jaguars, so we obviously saw Nick Foles go down with the shoulder injury, unfortunately, after throwing a beautiful touchdown pass to DJ Chark, who had a career night. Uh, we saw Gardner Minshew, the rookie, step up in his place and had a really good game. 22-25 for 275 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, finishes QB 13 on the week with 28.60 points. Leonard Fournette, uh, just 68 yards on 13 carries. Um, my goodness, I don't know what happened. My, my stuff's all messing up here. Uh, and also added 28 yards on four catches to finish as, our, again, RB21 with 11.4 points. DJ Chark, as I mentioned, career night. Finishes wide receiver 10, 24.60 points, 146 yards on four catches and a touchdown. Uh, the longest one being a 69-yard play. Again, a beautiful over-the-shoulder touchdown catch as well in the back of the end zone. Chris Conley actually had a really good game, uh, someone that Dennis had talked about before. So mm-hmm. so he got a, a good call on, on Chris Conley there. Uh, 97 yards on six catches and a touchdown. D.D. Westbrook, who I think is probably their best wide receiver, uh, had a touchdown on five catches for 30 yards. And then James O'Shaughnessy, the Irish legend here at tight end, 32 yards on just four catches. Uh, I thought that the Jaguars' offense was looking fairly good with Foles. I think the biggest part about this team was the the defense just playing uh, undisciplined. I mean, Miles Jack got thrown out, I believe it was in the first quarter, early second quarter, for throwing a punch in the end zone. They just did not seem to get things going. Chark looked amazing in this one, a guy that I'm willing to pick up in most leagues if he's available. I drafted him in a bunch as my last player uh, in round 16 just due to the fact that I thought he was a phenomenal wide receiver coming out of college last year out of LSU. Uh, looked really good in this offense and I think has the opportunity to step up and look good in this offense. I don't think any of these wide receivers are clearly ahead of the other. A lot of people obviously really love D.D. Westbrook. There's a lot of people who thought Chris Conley coming over from the Chiefs was going to be good, but D.J. Chark is, is a specimen. I think he's going to be good. And then obviously Gardner Minshew I think is going to be the guy moving forward. Looked good, looked poised through 13 straight completions uh, before he threw his first incompletion in that game. Uh, again, I thought it looked really good. They did do a, a trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a conditional fit to get Joshua Dobbs, but I think he is definitely going to be the backup here with Gardner Minshew being the guy. Uh, any thoughts on the Jags before we move on to the next game? Chiefs don't have a very good defense, so hard to say what we can permanently take away from this. Um, you know, there was a thought that Westbrook was going to be the better receiver. It seemed like he had developed some of a connection with Foles. I think with Minshew coming in there, it throws everything uh, open, in my opinion. Shark, Conley, Westbrook, they're all going to have potentially good games. Somebody's going to have a good game every week. It may end up being a situation where you don't know which um, I would be a little more concerned about what I saw in the running game. I know they had to abandon it because they were just getting buried early. But against a, a poorer defense like Kansas City, I would have liked to see a little bit better performance from Fournette. Um, I think they're going to have to rely on him a little bit more going forward. But um, 
unfortunately, it's it looks like it's going to be kind of a little bit of a lost season for the Jaguars. Foles went on IR. He can't come back before November 17th. Um, we'll get a, we'll get a chance to see what Minshew can do, maybe a, a future. But um, a lot of expectations for this team coming into the season. They splashed out to get Foles, thought he was going to be the missing piece. But he couldn't spackle over all the problems that we saw from the Jaguars last year. They still exist. They're still undisciplined play and big gaffes from a defense that thinks very highly of itself. Uh, and that's something I think we got to see if they can possibly turn around going forward. All right, so now let's talk about the Washington Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Redskins uh, lost this game 27-32. I actually think that they really had a chance to win this game. I think had Darius Geis not gone down, they probably would would have. Having Adrian Peterson as an inactive, I think, in the end really hurt them. For the Redskins side, Case Keenum, 30 of 44 for th- with three touchdowns to give you as finishes QB5 on the week with 40.70 points. You had Chris Thompson with just 10 yards on three carries, but added 68 yards on seven catches to finish his RB16 with 14.08 points. Darius Geis, again, the we now know meniscus injury, but they did not speak much of it at the time during the game, so did not play much. Finishes RB44 with 6.8 points, 18 yards on 10 carries, and then 20 yards on three catches. Obviously not a great, great day for him. Scary Terry McLaurin finished his wide receiver 13 on the week with 23.50 points, five catches for 125 yards, and that 69-yard touchdown bomb from Case Keenum. It was great to see him doing that. We also saw a little bit of Trey Quinn as well, finished wide receiver 38 with 13.30 points, four catches on 33 yards and a touchdown. And Vernon Davis sitting there drinking out of the fountain of youth, tight end six, finished with 15.9 points. Uh, 59 yards on four catches and a touchdown. Also hurdled the guy. He should have gotten points for that with with the way he hurdled that Philly defender. So as I was talking about the Redskins, uh, looked good early, and I really liked what I saw out of Scary Terry. I do think he is worth the waiver wire ad because I do think he, as I have talked about all offseason, um, and much like what we saw with the Geis and Peterson situation before Geis got hurt, is that talent wins out. I don't care how much they're paying Paul Richardson. Terry McLaurin is better than him, and he's going to start getting more and more looks, and we saw just how explosive he can be against a fairly good Eagles secondary this week. Uh, and then obviously with Geis being down and out, you're likely going to need to count on Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson now. Moving forward, for me, I would rather have Chris Thompson over Adrian Peterson because I would imagine the Redskins are going to be down more often than not. And as long as Chris Thompson is healthy, he is a an extremely good PPR running back. Matt, what did you take out of this game and that Redskins offense? Yeah, I liked uh, Terry McLaren too. I picked him up uh, in a couple of places, uh, <clears throat> or put in waiver bids in a couple of places. Have to see uh, if that lands. Um, I think you know, guys, it's got to be a player that a lot of fantasy owners, especially dynasty owners, are really bummed about because you didn't get to see any of them last year. He was dinged up a lot of training camp, and now it looks like he's going to miss some or most of this season. I mean, it's really hard to get a feel. I think they're being vague on purpose. So, you know, I would say I'd set the over-under for Geis on three more games this season. I don't know about you. I would take the under. Um, I just feel like he's not healthy. 
and for some reason is snake bitten, which then leaves you with Adrian Peterson, who had a great season um, last year. Uh, a lot of people have debated whether he could be a thousand yard running back. I don't think he can. I am down on the Redskins. I don't think they're going to be very good this season. Yesterday's game, notwithstanding. Um, you know, I think they'll have some moments, but obviously they have some holes on their defense. As a Broncos fan, it hurt a little bit seeing Case Keenum play like that, but um, so we did not see that. That was the the Vikings Case Keenum that we thought we signed last year. I uh, didn't see any of that. Um, I like Chris Thompson more of the backs going forward. I am not a big AP believer. He may have found the fountain of youth last year, but I just don't think that's repeatable. And I think their line is more of a problem. Uh, yeah. Then people will want to admit. Yeah, I agree. If they had uh, Trent Williams back, I think that line would be better than what it is showing. Obviously, one of the best left tackles in the game, but we have no idea when he's going to be back. Uh, the one thing I will say for Case Keenum, uh, and not to not to necessarily uh, shit on your Broncos here, because I know you agree with me. I want to say a lot of that was probably Vance Joseph last year. Because I do think, like once we once we've seen Case Keenum with a, a fairly competent offensive coordinator kind of coach, he's done fairly well. What, what he did with Minnesota, and then I, it's only one game with Jake Gruden, but I did like what I saw out of him as well. So I, I you might want we might say that that was more Vance Joseph than Case Keenum because I mean I'm, I'm with you. I saw a lot of Broncos games last year, and he would, did not look anything like what we saw in Week One with the Redskins. Uh, the Eagles here, they started off slow as well, uh, but really picked up in the second half, taking over. Uh, I really liked what I saw out of Miles Sanders, actually. Uh, obviously, we won't talk about him fantasy points while it's here in a minute because he didn't do much. But I actually thought, personally, from the runs that I saw out of him, he was the best back of the group. So, Philly side, obviously, let's start with Carson Wentz. Uh, they're their quarterback and fearless leader here. All right, so Wentz uh, went uh, 28 for 39, 313 yards and three touchdowns to finish his QB7 on the week with 38.2 points. Darren Sproles, 47 yards on nine carries, added 16 yards on three catches to get you uh, 11.3 points, finishing his RB26 on the week. Jordan Howard finishes RB39 on the week with 44 yards on six carries and 11 yards on two catches. Deshaun Jackson Returned to the Deshaun Jackson of old. Got open for two long touchdowns. 154 yards on eight catches and two touchdowns. One of those being the 53-yard uh, touchdown. Uh, again, just ridiculous. Deshaun Jackson, that boom-bust potential showing itself again in week one. Also did the same thing last year. Literally the same thing last year. And finished as a top-five wide receiver. Uh, so just ridiculous that he was able to do it again. Uh, and then Alshon Jeffrey finishes wide receiver 19 with 22.10 points. Uh, he got you 49 yards on five catches and a touchdown. Zach Ertz, a little bit of a quiet day here. 54 yards on five catches to finish his tight end 16 with 10.4 points. I imagine better days are coming for Zach Ertz. Uh, again, just a, just a bad day. When you have Deshaun Jackson scoring two long touchdowns, that's going to kind of limit what your offense can do. Moving forward for me, obviously Wentz, I'm big on. I've said it multiple times. I think he could be an MVP candidate this year. Uh, Jeffrey, I think, is going to be good as long as he stays healthy. Jackson, 
Perfect best ball player. Otherwise, it's going to be hard for me to start him every week. I need to see him continue to produce, which I don't think we'll see. And then Ertz is good to go. And as I said, Miles Sanders. I I loved what I saw out of him. I really do think sooner rather than later, this dude is going to be maybe not the three down back for the Philadelphia Eagles, but getting the higher workload out of the multiple backs that they have there. What were your thoughts on Philly? Yeah, I mean, that passing game looked good. Um, That's what you get with Deshaun Jackson um you can have some magic I think uh I almost had a moment of panic yesterday when I saw the headline that said Eagles expect to put Jackson on IR forgetting they also had Malik Jackson oh, yeah. so <laughs> if you saw that if you saw that headline too no never feared Deshaun Jackson's hand injury didn't seem to affect him yesterday and probably won't going forward um I think the big thing for me is the Eagles running back situation feels like a mess, a little bit like San Francisco, which we'll um, talk about. It's pretty much, barring injuries, it's going to be hard, I think, to tell week to week uh, what they want to do. A little bit like New England, too. Probably another team we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. They have a lot of talented players. Sometimes the most talented person isn't the one that fits best with the game plan. So I think if you were hoping to have either a Howard or a Sanders, that you could, you know, no-brainer start every week as an RB2, that's that's going to be a tough sell. I mean, we'll see how it develops going on, but barring an injury to someone, I think it's going to be hard to tell, you know, game to game what their, what their share is going to be. Yeah, yeah, I bought in a little too much into that Patriots running uh – Running backs this season, I feel like I'm really going to pay for it after what we saw Sunday night, and we'll definitely get to that game. Yeah. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts and the Los Angeles Chargers played a classic game as well. The Chargers pulling it out in overtime, winning 32-24 over the Colts. For the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, I mean, he wasn't Andrew Luck, but I thought looked really good against a very good Chargers defense. Yes, they were missing Derwin James, but they still have a phenomenal defense outside of him. Uh, 21 to 27 for 190 yards and two touchdowns to finish his QB 17 on the week with 25.75 points. Marlon Mack continues to just rub his talents in my face. 25 carries for 174 yards and one touchdown to finish his RB6, 25.40 points. T.Y. Hilton had a huge day here. 87 yards on eight catches and two touchdowns to finish his wide receiver, 6, 28.7 points. And then Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron did a whole lot of nothing for you. Jack Doyle finishes tied in 37 with three points. Eric Ebron tied in 44 with 1.8 point. Doyle 20 yards on one catch. Ebron eight yards on one catch. Did have a touchdown pass, though, that he bobbled in the back of the end zone, which had he caught, he would obviously have had a much better day. Or not much better day, but a better day. Uh, so for me... Obviously, we talked a little bit about the fungus injury on Monday's podcast. Uh, We both think that Paris Campbell could take a step up here, just one target and one yard. Hopefully, that continues to increase. Uh, Deion Kane did get a little bit of run here, 35 yards on two catches, looked decent. Uh, But I'm big on Paris Campbell. Do you have any thoughts on this Indianapolis Colts offense and what they were able to do with Jacoby Reset? Yeah, and, you know, I saw that play live and the replays, and I – think Ebron got robbed in my opinion that was a touchdown that was one of those weird technicality rulings the ball did not touch the ground at all just when he hit the ground it came a little bit uh loose in his grasp as he was rolling over um you know it's one of those borderline calls I thought could have gone either way but we definitely don't see you know I think 
Andrew Luck was the one that seemed to have magical chemistry with the tight ends. Um, you know, we didn't know with that carryover to Brissett. I don't think it really did. Could also be uh, the defense. The Chargers have pretty decent safeties and linebackers, so you'd have to see what happens in the next game. And also with Funchess now with the broken uh, collarbone and being gone, you know, will that impact things? But only five targets uh, to those two tight ends combined. That makes them both uh, borderline useless if you're if you're talking about fantasy, I thought Marlon Mack was incredible. I'm not somebody who had been a believer. Um, he definitely put me to shame because even if you take away his 63-yard run, he still had 24 carries for 109 and 111 yards. So, yep. I mean, he was tearing it up, no doubt. And uh, T.Y. Hilton, I thought, proved uh, a lot of people who had wondered whether he would still retain value. I saw a lot of people saying he became a wide receiver three. Um, he wasn't really, he didn't click with Brissett when they were there before. Nothing had changed. Eight for 87 and two TDs, I would tell you otherwise. The Colts are a team that could be a little friskier and a little better for fantasy, uh, than we wanted to initially believe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say, I'm going to toot my horn here. I've been saying I thought the Colts were still going to be good with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, but Hilton proved me wrong as well, and so did Mac. Uh, I've never been a Mac believer. Now, I'm not going to jump, I'm not going to beat myself up too much because it is one game, and we've seen Mac have amazing games like this and then do absolutely nothing for four or five weeks. So I, I, I don't want to say Mac is back. But, but I definitely do think Hilton is. I loved what I saw out of Hilton, and I'm glad that he's proven a lot of people wrong because I, I love the player. Uh, for the Chargers side here, so Phillip Rivers, 25 of 34 for 333 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, finishes QB 9, 36.7, 17 points. Austin Eckler took a error, really kind of ran away with this job. At least it looks like it. I, I did watch some of this game here, so... 12 carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown. Added 96 yards on six catches and two touchdowns, including the, the clinching touchdown in overtime to finish his RB2 on the week with 40.90 points. Justin Jackson finishes RB40 with just 7.10 points, 57 yards on six carries, uh, and then just added four yards on one catch. Keenan Allen uh, had a really good game here as well, continues to prove he's a top wide receiver. Uh, wide receiver seven on the week, 26.30 points with 123 yards and a touchdown on eight catches. Hunter Henry finishes tight end 17 with 10 points, uh, just 60 yards on four catches. Um, I like the way that the Chargers played against a really good uh, Colts defense. Now, Eckler did out-snap Jackson in this game. However, I'm interested to hear your take on Jackson because I do. I, I, we both talked about it in the preseason that we both were higher on Jackson due to him going so much later in the drafts. So what was your thoughts about the, the kind of uh, way that this backfield shook out, at least in game one? Well, and, and we got to take into account Eckler was the one that played in the one and only drive on uh, overtime where he got a couple of catches and he got his carry, including his touchdown run. But if you were looking at just uh, touches and targets, you know, Jackson had three targets and six carries, so nine approximately. Eckler with 12 carries and seven targets in uh, you know, in, including the drive he got in overtime. So that's that's 19. You know, we wondered, will it be close to a 60-40? I would have liked to see, um, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, what he got in that overtime frame. Eckler 
made more splash plays probably with his touches. You know, he had the long touchdown run. He had a 55-yard touchdown reception. He's always been a great receiver. In the parts that I was watching, Jackson looked like a more definitive runner. I mean, on six fewer carries, he finished with one fewer yards. So I could see Jackson being more of the thunder in a thunder and lightning combination, but I think it's always going to be a split and barring some kind of injury. Eckler is good. He's proven that he's good in that role throughout. Uh, the question to me was always the same as you had with Eckler when Gordon was there. Can Eckler give me enough in his touches to be worthy of flex consideration? And I think Jackson is in the same space. And from from what I saw, he's he's approaching that. You know, I want to see if that continues, if he can make a little bit more hay in the passing, or if he can get some goal line carries. Um, I think he could easily vault into that flex range. Yeah, and, and so I'm going to say I'm right there with you on Jackson. I think he's going to be just fine because my biggest thing, too, with Eckler is as amazing as he is and explosive as he is, he also has a very extensive injury history. And if he gets hurt, it's going to be Jackson all day long. I agree with you. I watched a lot of that game, especially after the Cowboys and Giants got pretty out of hand. Uh, and Jackson, to me, looked like the far better runner. So Eckler, definitely the better receiver of the backfield. We saw that. He showed that a lot in that game. But when it comes to just running of the football, Justin Jackson looked better. I would not be surprised if he doesn't start to get more work uh, here in the next coming week. So if you own Jackson, I personally would not drop him unless you have just got someone on, for instance, in one of the leagues that I'm in, Tyrell Williams is available on the waiver wire. I might drop Jackson if I have enough running running back depth and grab Tyrell Williams because he clearly looks like he's going to be the one in Oakland. Uh, but outside of someone like that, I personally, like a Terry McLaurin, I would not drop Justin Jackson for because I don't think McLaurin has a chance to, but I'm not sure that he's going to bring back quite the amount of fantasy value Jackson will if there is an injury. Yeah, I'm still saying Jackson ends up being our fantasy MVP because remember, he was practically free for most of the summer and into the fall. There's a lot of truthers out there that still think Melvin Gordon is going to come back any day. I personally do not. Um, I saw something uh, printed that as long as he's back by the final week of November, he can guarantee that he gets credit for a service year and can become a free agent. I think at this point in time, that's all he wants. And there's no guarantee if he comes back at that date, if the Chargers like what they got, that he doesn't end up being a game day inactive. They have not exactly been that warm and welcoming toward him. And if anything, this game on Sunday really proved that they're fine at running back. They're fine with what they've got. They like their guys, and their guys are doing well. Yeah, yeah. I would not expect him back till right around week 8 or 9 or 10 would be my guess because he wants to get that accrued season. I don't, I don't see him at this point coming back before then. Uh, Bengals and Seahawks. So the Cincinnati Bengals and the Seattle Seahawks had a, a fairly good game, actually. Bengals losing 20 221 for Andy Dalton here, 35 of 51, 418 yards and two touchdowns, QB 10 with 34.97 points. Giovanni Bernard stepped up when Joe Mixon got hurt, finished just as RB 35, though, with 8.3 points. Uh, 21 yards on seven carries and added 42 yards on two catches. Joe Mixon, RB 63.7 points, again, just 10 carries. Uh, I'm sorry, 10 yards on six carries. Again, did get hurt pretty early in this game. Seven yards on two catches. 
John Ross just uh, had one of his games uh, that he has every once in a while here when he's healthy. Finishes wide receiver two on the week, 36.3 points uh, in fantasy, 158 yards, two touchdowns, seven receptions, a long 55-yard bomb for a touchdown as well in this one. Tyler Boyd, wide receiver 32 with 14.3 points, 60 yards on eight catches, and then... Um, CJ Uzoma and Tyler Eifert both actually had decent games for fantasy. Uzoma tied in 14, 10.6 points in fantasy with 66 yards on four catches. Eifert 27 yards on five catches uh, to get you uh, tight and 19 with 7.7 points. For the Bengals here, all right, so I thought they actually looked pretty good with the new offense and, and Zach Taylor being there. If Mixon is going to be out, I've talked about it before, I've said it in a lot of drafts, or drafts, a lot of podcasts leading up to this, Giovanni Bernard worth a late round flyer pick, grabbed him, I believe, in our FLA draft, if I can remember correctly, because Joe Mixon has a injury history, and when Mixon is out, Bernard has showed that he can put up RB1 numbers, and if Mixon is going to miss time, I do think Bernard will clearly be able to step in and and play good as long as he stays healthy as well. John Ross, I I need to see more of it. I'm not necessarily buying into him. What were your thoughts on Ross and one of his career games here against Seattle? Yeah, I, I mean... It was incredible because we're talking about a guy that his first year, I think he had negative points for fantasy. You know, he had like just some, he had no positive yards and a fumble or something like that. If I remember, he's been kind of a non-factor since he was drafted. People really loved his speed and loved his opportunity there. Maybe Zach Taylor is a better coach than I was giving him credit for. Maybe this is a big unveiling. Or it could be a fluke. It's hard for me. Uh, you know, John Ross is probably going to be one of the trendiest waiver pickups out there. I saw him sitting on the waiver in a bunch of leagues where I was moving people onto IR and thought, oh, do I want to pick him up? Nah, he's useless. And now people are going to be blown fab, doing everything. I'm not ready to totally buy in yet. Um, he had a preponderance of big plays. The 12 targets leading the team is interesting he uh he made the most of his opportunities i guess i would like to see it again um we have san francisco coming in uh to cincinnati for week two they have a pretty decent uh, pass rush um, they made Jameis winston look pretty bad on sunday in tampa bay uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit but i'd like to see what they do it's hard to it was, it was almost everything about that game was hard to believe um, for me. It, you know, it's almost hard to articulate. I did not expect a gunslinger Andy Dalton. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect to see John Ross going ham. And Tyler Boyd, 11 targets, caught 8 for 60 yards. That's probably about what you were expecting, maybe a little higher yardage. But then everything else, you're at the, using the tight ends, um, it's going to be fascinating. It's. I think we're going into a week where the top two waiver claims are likely to be John Ross and Giovanni Bernard, so I don't know when the last time two Bengal offensive players were at the top of the waiver heap, but that's just uh, based on what we saw. And I thought Seattle was going to have a pretty good defense, I mean the debut of Davian Clowney, um, but you didn't, you didn't see a whole ton there. The Bengals probably were a team that, even though they lost, were one of the teams that impressed me the most on Sunday. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I really, um, I, I mean, this was almost everybody's lock of the week, and it technically ended up working out because Seattle won 21 to 20. But I don't think anybody expected it to be as close no, as it was. It was my eliminator pick too, and yeah. I have to tell you, I switched off red zone for a while to uh, sweat that one out. Yeah, I mean, it was everybody was picking this game, and it was not something that uh, I, I mean, the Bengals had a chance to win it at the end, so it was it was a very close game. On Seattle's side, Russell Wilson just continues to struggle in the first couple games of the season. 14 to 20, 196 yards, two touchdowns, did add eight yards rushing to finish as QB 18 with 24.14 points. Chris Carson just continues to dominate this backfield. 15 carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. He also, as they promised, did more in the receiving game. 35 yards on six catches and a touchdown as well to finish his RB8 again, 24.1 points. DK Metcalf, a guy who got more targets than his his running mate Tyler Lockett, which was surprising to me, finished his wide receiver 42, 12.1, uh, 12.9 points with 89 yards on four catches. Tyler Lockett's day got bailed out with a touchdown, finished his wide receiver 46, 11.4 points, one yard, uh, one catch for a touchdown, 44 yards. And Will Disley, a guy that probably not a lot of people were playing, uh, but did get you 12 yards on one catch to finish as a tight end. Uh, my goodness, I lost it. 29 with 4.45 points. So again, not a, not a great day for for Will Disley at all, and he actually ended up getting hurt as well and likely going to miss time. Uh, as I talked about, Seattle has uh, really seemed the past couple years just struggled in these first couple games, ran the ball a lot, tried to play good defense. My biggest thing in this one, again, was that Metcalf got more targets than Tyler Lockett, a guy that a lot of people thought was raw coming into the NFL, could not play wide receiver, could only run two routes. And yet I told a lot of people that you guys were wrong. This kid's talent is amazing. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to backpedal here, pull a hamstring backpedaling, because I keep saying that I'm not going to overreact by week one. But I really liked what I saw out of Metcalf in this one game so far, and the fact that he out-targeted Tyler Lockett was a big deal to me. What was your takeaway from this wide receiver core in this Seattle offense? You know, it, it was feels like the typical kind of slow start for Seattle and um, Tyler Lockett. You know, of course, one catch for 44 and a touchdown is what he's going to give you. I mean, it just seems like that guy sometimes is the consummate boom-bust guy. That was one of the questions from last year. Could he sustain that kind of big TD percentage and rate? And, um, you know, it could also be a factor of him. He's now the clear-cut number one and main receiver there. He's going to be defended a lot differently. Um, we've talked about in the past, Russell Wilson seems to get off to some of these kind of leisurely slow starts before really finding a rhythm and kicking into gear. Uh, Metcalf got injured in the preseason. Nobody had seen a lot of him. So, you know, that might've been tough to game plan for, for Cincinnati. I it feel like it's a game where it's hard to take away too much of anything, um, you know, that the target leader for Seattle passing game was actually Chris Carson on dump offs out of the backfield, which maybe tells you some of the pressure that Wilson was getting or some of the, the quick outs. Uh, you know, we're going to see them go to Pittsburgh um, this next week. And obviously we saw what Tom Brady was able to do and what the running backs were able to do against that Pittsburgh defense on Sunday night. So we'll kind of be curious to see what Seattle does and what they can bring 
uh, in terms of big plays and how they get defended. Um, but, you know, September Russell Wilson isn't the best Russell Wilson, so yeah. uh, probably not a surprise to see him complete 14 balls for 161 yards, but he still gets the two touchdowns, which keeps your fantasy day afloat. That it does. The closest right. game of the week. Yeah, the closest game of the week is right. We are on to the Lions and the Cardinals' uh, first NFL tie of the season already. We got it in week one, 27-27 here. So the Lions side, Matt Stafford, 27-45, 385 yards and three touchdowns to finish as QB3 on the week, 41.8 points. Carryon Johnson struggled a little bit in this one, not quite what a lot of us were hoping for. 49 yards on 16 carries. Uh, to finish his RB 36 with 8.2 points, uh, did add 13 yards on two catches. Danny Amendola, a big surprise here, wide receiver 14, 23.4 points in fantasy, 104 yards and a touchdown on seven catches. Did get some of that work in overtime, though, as well. Kenny Galladay had a decent game, wide receiver 34, 14.2 points. Uh, what did he do again? 42 yards, a touchdown on four catches. But T.J. Hawkinson, the tight end everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people were in love with coming out of Iowa this past year. The, the, the Detroit Lions drafted him in the first round, finished as tight end two on the week with 25.1 points, 131 yards, one touchdown on six catches, breaks the NFL rookie record for most tight end uh, for a rookie tight end, most yards in one game in NFL history. So great game for him. Uh, and, and really a, a, another big surprise from Danny Amendola as well. What were your thoughts on those two guys kind of showing out here in the D- Detroit Lions' first game of the season? Yeah, so I think uh, probably four big takeaways for Detroit. Uh, first, kind of surprised and disappointed with what we saw from Galladay. Thought he was going to take a big step up as the guy. No Patrick Peterson, no Robert Alford. Seemed like a good uh, experience. He got nine targets, but only four receptions for 42 yards. Uh, If he hadn't had the TD to kind of bail it out, you'd be looking at that as kind of a a lost day. Kerryon Johnson, too, another guy that was probably played a lot. I know when we were doing our over-unders, especially John was super high on Johnson as potential this year. 16 for 49 makes you wonder. Cardinals not really known for a great defense. Um, Is the Detroit Lions line going to be uh, something of an issue that we have to watch uh, going forward? They did give up three sacks of Stafford, too. Um, and he was certainly under pressure a lot. But then on the positive side, two incredible surprise gifts. Hawkinson got nine targets, same as uh, Galladay, made a lot more of them. His TD may be a little fluky. It was kind of a floater. If you weren't playing advanced Joseph defense, I don't know if that would have been <laughs> as easy a catch. But six for 131, really hard to argue uh, with kind of the volume and what he was doing there. But Danny Amendola. 13 targets, 7 catches, 104 yards, 1 TD. Yesterday was the first time since Matt Patricia took over that you could sort of almost see a little bit of that Patriots blueprint, I think, going out and getting a guy like Amendola. You know, maybe they really were missing that slot presence. That's where Golden Tate used to really eat it up. That's not really Marvin Jones. That's not really Kenny Galladay. Um, So really going to be fascinated Amendola is somebody who I am sneakily going and making claims on because watching the way they played and seeing that target share, 
that could easily be something that they're trying to do going forward. And we've seen Amendola live into that role. As long as he can stay healthy, if he's in a good spot like that, you can see maybe not 104 and a touchdown, but you could see seven for 60 every week. And that's, that's flex value in PPR. Yeah, absolutely. And both of them, if they are not owned, are worthy of waiver wire pickups. For the Cardinals side here, Kyler Murray, while he did not look great through the first couple halves, definitely turned it on late in the third quarter and really in the fourth quarter. 29 of 54, 308 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and finishes QB 12, 32.8 points on the week. David Johnson proves that he is elite again, in my opinion, finishing as RB5 on the week, 25.7 points, 82 yards on 18 carries, added 55 yards on six catches and a touchdown. We saw Larry Fitzgerald, much like Vernon Davis, spending a lot of time at the Fountain of Youth here. Wide receiver 10 on the week, 25.3 points, 113 yards, and a touchdown on eight catches. And then Christian Kirk, a little bit disappointing for me. A guy I thought was going to have a really good game here. Uh, did not see a lot of Darius Slay. So, as I, like I said, I, I really thought Christian Kirk was going to step up big here. Really kind of shrunk in, in the spotlight. 32 yards on four catches finishing his wide receiver 52 on the week with 10.4 points. Loved what I saw out of this team. Uh, again, it took them three quarters to get going, but once they started, it really looked like this was the offense Kyler Murray and uh, Cliff Kingsbury have been promising us for this team. What were your thoughts on Kyler and what he showed us at the end of this game? Yeah, and to your point on Kirk, what makes his day even worse is he had 12 targets, second most on the team, so it only come away with four catches for 32 is a little disappointing. You know, it, I this was a game I had picked the Lions. I thought the Cardinals had some big problems on defense and offensive line, and through a lot of the early part of the game, that really bore out. I mean, it was 17-3 to at the half. Um, at one point, I believe the Lions were up 24-6 to uh, before a furious comeback uh, began for the Cardinals that carried them into overtime. Kyler Murray got pounded a lot early, looked like a rookie passer a lot early, uh, but he really showed me something with his resilience and the way he just kept fighting. Um, I think in terms of the Cardinals receivers, it might be a little bit of whack-a-mole, you know, 12 targets for Kirk. They had 10 to Keyshawn Johnson, 13 to Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald's probably the only one I'm feeling good about starting with confidence as like a flex play for the next couple of weeks. That seems to be, you know, you know what you're going to get from Fitzgerald. He showed it time and time again. It may take some time to get these young receivers up to where we hope they can be. David Johnson looked good. Uh, this is one case where people love to tout that QBR stat as telling you the real story of how a quarterback played. Kyler Murray's QBR for that game was 38.5. That is not a real estimation, in my opinion, of the heart and tenacity and fight that that guy showed. And it's going to be a rough season for the Cardinals, but if I was a fan, I would have come away thinking, we got our guy. I saw something there that you never saw with Josh Rosen. Yeah, absolutely. So, next game, uh, really don't have to touch much on this game. I thought... In all honesty, with the game right after, one of the worst games of the weekend, uh, even though it had somewhat high scoring here. 49ers beating the Buccaneers 31-17 to for the 49ers. Uh, 
Jimmy Garoppolo, let's see here, 18 to 27, 166, one touchdown, one interception, QB 27 with 16 points. Tevin Coleman did get hurt in this one, finished his RB 38 with seven points, 23 yards on six carries, added 33 yards on two catches. Raheem Mostert, RB 52 with five points, uh, he got you 40 yards on nine carries. J- Matt Breida, I'm sorry, I was going to say James Breida. Matt Breida, RB 59, 3.7 points here, 37 yards on 15 carries. Uh, neither one of them did anything really in the receiving game. Richie James was the only wide receiver of notice here, wide receiver 48 with 10 points. Uh, and that was all really because of the touchdown, one catch, 39-yard touchdown pass. Uh, George Kittle, obvious stud here, 54 yards, eight receptions to finish his tight end seven with 14 points, uh, and actually had two touchdowns called back due to offensive penalties. Uh, I mean, really, for me, the RB situation here is the only thing to worry about. Uh, I think Mostert's going to be the guy over Breida. I thought he looked better in that game. We saw him get a little bit of better run last year as well before he got hurt. But with Coleman out, it's going to be those two guys. I'm not trusting any wide receiver right now outside of George Kittle in the receiving game. What were your thoughts on on these running backs and the wide receivers for uh, San Francisco? Yeah, San Francisco wide receivers are unstartable to me. Um, I would actually almost say the same thing about Jimmy G. Uh, I think the real revelation we'll get to in a minute is both the quarterbacks in this game going forward. uh, You know, it's going to be two or three weeks of them showing me something before I'd even consider going back to either of them after the travesty that we watched on Sunday. Uh, Running back, (coughs) I'm uh, I'm almost the reverse of you. I actually, Brita's the only one. Uh, of that group that I would consider right now, but you know, they, they're an enigma. They're an enigma when everyone's healthy, they're going to be even more of an enigma when they're not, because as soon as you like Matt Breida, he gets knocked out for two quarters and then comes back. I thought one of the biggest surprises to me is how little involvement, uh, running backs had in the passing game. Cause you thought there was going to be some value there. Uh, one big pass to Tevin Coleman who he caught, he had three targets. He caught one for 31. Um, but really only three receptions for 33 yards for running backs total and only five targets to running backs. So curious to see how that goes going forward. For the Bucks side here, um, you know, as I mentioned in the notes there, driven by Jameis Winston is my biggest fear of this team. Everybody talking up this offense and Bruce Arians coming over, and I kept saying that, yes, Bruce Arians is an offensive genius, but can Jameis Winston get it done? And he did not do that in this game. 20 of 36 for 194 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, technically two touchdowns if you want to cut the count the pick six that he threw. Uh, but he got you QB 31, 14 points in this one. I thought Ronald Jones actually looked somewhat decent in this one here. Uh, uh, really got a lot of uh, carries, a lot more carries than Peyton. Not a lot more, five more than, than Peyton Barber. Uh, but 13 carries for 75 yards, finishes RB 30 with 10 points. Peyton Barber, RB 45 with six points, 33 yards again on eight carries, added 12 yards on two catches. Ronald Jones had a catch for 18 yards. Mike Evans, I do think some of it had to deal with his stomach bug uh, that he had been dealing with, finished as wide receiver 81 with four points uh, in this one, just 28 yards on two catches. 
Godwin saves his day with a touchdown, 53 yards on three receptions, and a touchdown to O.J. Howard. Struggled in this one as well. Finishes tight end 18 with eight points, uh, 32 yards on four catches. Really, for me, there's not much to say on this team. I'm still trusting Evans and Godwin at the moment. I've never been that big on Howard. Uh, and I am picking up Ronald Jones if he is available because I thought he looked good. I've said multiple times I think he just needed a – comparable offensive coach to come in there and give him the chance. Dirk Cutter kind of really cut him out from the ankles and from the knees, however that saying goes, in my opinion, last year, which I think really kind of hurt Ronald Jones. So if he's available, I'm picking him up because I think he's got a chance uh, to bring back some RB2 value this year. What was your takeaway from the Bucks offense? So, you know, I think it's fantasy kryptonite all the way around, which is a real bummer because we spent a lot of the offseason uh, getting very excited about the elements of this passing game with the idea that Arians could be magic for Jameis Winston, who threw three interceptions, two returned for touchdowns. So he actually threw three touchdowns if you're going the interception TD route. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> and he f- he had two fumbles that he was lucky not to lose. O.J. Howard fumbled one and lost. This, you know, turnover plagued day, and this is – you know, at home on opening day, so you would think they'd have a little bit of a better chance. It's not like San Francisco was killing it. San Francisco only had two interceptions all of last season. They had more in one game against Jameis Winston than they had in all of 2018, which really tells you something. Godwin uh, lucked into a touchdown, kind of boosted his numbers. Mike Evans didn't look good, but only five targets, caught two for two for 28. I, you know, for the draft capital you invested in Evans and probably Godwin, you're hoping to be able to start them. I am not feeling good about starting anyone in Tampa Bay in week two because they're going to play on a short week against Carolina on Thursday night. I don't know how you could come away feeling encouraged about anything for, for Tampa Bay. And, you know, it may be a bit of a rebuild process before Bruce Arians can find that magic. And it may be with a quarterback not named Jameis Winston. If they continue to look like this for a couple of weeks, you have to wonder if they wouldn't be better off trying to go a little bit lower and grabbing one of these rookie quarterbacks and letting Jameis walk. I would not be surprised if that happens. Uh, yeah, for me, I think you have to play Evans just based on the draft capital, unless you've got someone you can play over him. Uh, but he's really the only guy I would I, – I still kind of trust Chris Godwin. I think he's got the talent and the upside. But, but I'm right there with you on those. All right, so let's get on to the Sunday night game. We had the Pittsburgh Steelers completely shitting the bed here, which is three points against the New England Patriots, who scored 33 uh, just an, an awful game all around, although I'll, I'll touch on the Steelers here in a second. Let's, let's talk about what their guys did here. So Ben Roethlisberger, 24-47 for 276 yards and a interception. Finishes QB 28 with 16 points. James Conner, RB 29 with 10 points, 21 yards on 10 carries. Did add 44 yards on four catches. And Juju, wide receiver 37, 13.8 points in this one. 78 yards on six catches. A lot of that, though, coming in uh, – Kind of dumpster time, or dump, well, I forgot what it's called. Garbage time, that was the word I was looking for. Uh, for me, uh, as I put in the notes, this is a throwaway game for me for the Steelers. I don't think this speaks much of them. Just a bad game. They've all, I want to say, always played bad against the Patriots, but they've struggled against them. I'm not reading too much into this. I'm fine, as much as it hurts me as a Browns fan to admit this. I'm fine playing all these guys next week. I think it was just a bad game overall. Uh, I do think James Washington, with 51 yards on two catches, is going to firmly place himself as the number two. 
after Dante Moncrief struggled badly in this game with multiple drops. Your thoughts on the Steelers before we talk about the Patriots? Yeah, Moncrief unplayable, probably droppable. Ten targets, three receptions for seven yards. Somebody I'm keeping a long-term eye on is Deontay Johnson, who had three catches for 25 on five targets. Thought that was good. Also want to see if the Steelers are going to continue this real check down to Ryan Switzer. He got featured a lot more than I was expecting, but you got almost nothing out of it. Six for six receptions against targets, 29 yards. It was just a weird game all around. For the Patriots, Tom Brady, 24-36 for 341 yards and three touchdowns, finishes QB8 with 37 points. Rex Burkhead led the running backs here, RB17, 13 points, 44 yards on eight carries, and added, oh my goodness, uh, 41 yards on five catches. James White finished right behind him as RB19 with 13 points. 26 yards on four carries, added 56 yards on five catches. Philip Dorsett had a huge game here, wide receiver eight, 25.5 points. 95 yards, two touchdowns on four catches. Julian Edelman, wide receiver 27, 16 points in fantasy, 83 yards on six catches. And then Josh Gordon, wide receiver 30, 16 points as well, finishing with 73 yards on three catches and a touchdown. Uh, For me, obviously, as someone who bought highly into Sony Michelle in this offseason, disappointed he did not do much, just one point in fantasy. I'm hoping that that's just game planning against the Steelers, and that will change. Don't think Philip Dorsett has this going forward with them adding Antonio Brown. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on the podcast with – um, I don't know why I wanted to call him Ben Dennis. When we, he joined me on Saturday as we talked about the FFWC, we both think this is going to hurt Gordon's value and Edelman a little bit as well as Brown. We don't think any of these guys are going to be true standouts. So what was your takeaway on the Patriots here? Yeah, I mean, the Patriots, as Patriot as ever, you can, you know, as soon as you think you have them figured out, they go a completely different way. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Burkhead doesn't get a single snap next week, just as a result. They're about to go play uh, a Miami Dolphins team who we know is terrible uh, and has no defense. So, you know, we may see a whole bunch of different things. Um, It's hard to to take away much except for that i think with michelle i i would urge patience too he got 15 carries didn't get much production it seemed like that was the one thing that the steelers were able to accomplish in that entire primetime game was uh defending the run when he was in and really quick note uh the patriots actually just traded demarius thomas to the new york jets for a six-round pick uh for me doesn't do much for either team do you have any thoughts on that I actually really like the move uh, for the Jets. Um, aside from Jamison Crowder, I was not impressed in any way, shape, or form with any of their receivers. Demarius Thomas, I think, still has some gas left in the tank. He reunites with Adam Gase, who was the offensive coordinator during those boom years with Peyton Manning. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator when we had John Fox that year that Peyton Manning set the touchdown record. Um I could see them making uh, making something out of Demarius Thomas, especially giving a bigger body a longer target. May actually help Robbie Anderson too, pulling some coverage away from him. 
Alright, so on to the best game of the weekend so far, and likely game that's going to be hard to beat for the season. The Texans losing to the Saints 28-30. For the Texans, Deshaun Watson had a really good game here. 20 of 30, 268, three touchdowns, one interception. QB4 on the week with 41 points. Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson both had decent games here. Pretty good duo there. Hyde, 83 yards on 10 carries, two yards on one catch to finish as RB33 with nine points. Duke Johnson, 57 yards on nine carries and also added 33 yards on four catches to finish as RB 21 with 13 points. Nuke Hopkins continues to dominate the NFL, 111 yards, eight catches, two touchdowns, finishes as wide receiver four with 32 points. Kenny Stills showed up a little bit here from the trade from Miami, wide receiver 43 with 12 points in this one, 37 yards, three catches, and a huge touchdown at the end of that game. Will Fuller disappoints a little bit, but does have two pretty good catches here for 69 yards, a long one coming 54 with uh, a defender draped all in front of him for eight points in this one. I liked what I saw out of the Texans. Obviously, their offensive line still looked bad. Maybe that's the fact they haven't had Tunsil for long and trying to gel them together. But I think that's going to be the biggest Achilles heel for this team. Also, I felt like, really quick, J.J. Watt looked completely different without having Jadavion Clowney with him there, kind of disrupting that offensive line. He looked like he was getting shut down the entire game from everything I saw by that Saints offensive line, which is one of the better ones, but still surprising to see him get shut down the way that he did. Your thoughts on the Texans? Yeah, Monday night was a bad night for some superstar pass rushers, as we'll discuss in the next game. But <laughs> I thought the Texans had a um, better rushing attack than I expected. Um, going to be kind of interesting going forward. Carlos Hyde actually looked a little spry. Um, receivers, you know, was about what you expected. Kiki Kuti should be back sooner or later. It'd be, I think Stills will take a back seat. He did have a 37-yard touchdown, but he had three receptions for 37 yards, so his other two catches were for a grand total of zero, so hard to read a lot into that. For the Saints, Drew Brees finishes QB 13 with 32 points, 32 of 43, 370 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Alvin Kamara has a huge game here. RB 9, 23 points, 97 yards on 13 carries, 72 yards on seven catches. Latavius Murray went well into that Mark Ingram role here. RB 23 with 12 points, 43 yards and a touchdown on six carries. Michael Thomas, wide receiver 18 with 22 points, 123 yards on 10 catches. Uh, Ted Ginn, who we talked about on Monday's podcast, both said to start him in this track meet. He came through for you if you did. 101 yards on 7 catches, wide receiver 25, 17 points. Jared Cook disappointed a little bit here. Tight end 24 with 5 points in this one. Uh, 37 yards on 2 catches. Uh, Saints uh, struggled a little bit early against this this Texans defense, but really turned it on late. Um, You know, I thought all of them, everybody looked good to me except for uh, Jared Cook. Cook was the only one I was a little bit disappointed in what we saw, especially with what a lot of us were inspecting, expecting, including me, uh, with Jimmy Graham leaving him being probably a, a little bit of a lesser version of Jimmy Graham. Uh, and I do think that Latavius Murray is definitely worth playing. Uh, he showed you fairly well what he could do. I think if they're in closer games, he's going to get even more run than he did. Uh, Alvin Kamara out there a lot because they were behind most of this game. Your takeaway from the Saints. Yeah, I think for the Saints, business as usual, they pretty much are who we 
thought they were. Cook, you know, I want to see what happens going forward. He only had three targets last night, caught two of them for 37 yards, including a 31-yard grab. So could just be a matter of game plan and the way they matched up against the Texans. You know, Ted Ginn, every time you want to write him off, he just shows out big, and I think they are a better offense when he's in. And then Saints, as Saint as ever, two passing touchdowns, one to Taysom Hill, the backup quarterback, and one to Traquan Smith, who made a guest appearance. So, I mean, you never know what you're going to get from the Saints, but you're always in good shape putting a few of them in your fantasy lineup. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so full disclosure, I was not able to watch this game. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows I get up extremely early in the morning, but Matt did, so I'm going to let him take over all the analysis for this game. I'm just going to give you guys the stats. So for the Broncos, they lost this one 16-24 to to the Raiders. Joe Flacco finished his QB 20, 22 points in fantasy, 21-31 of for 268 yards and a touchdown. Phillip Lindsay, running back 28, 10 points in this one, 43 yards on 11 carries, added 23 yards on four catches. Royce Freeman, RB41, with seven points. 10 carries for 56 yards, added 5 yards on one catch. Emmanuel Sanders apparently had a good game, or at least looks like. Wide receiver 21, 19 points in this one. 86 yards, 5 catches, and a touchdown. Cortland Sutton, wide receiver 22, just one spot behind him with 19 points. 7 catches for 120 yards. What happened with the Broncos, Matt? Um, the Broncos, I think, forgot the regular season started. They and the Atlanta Falcons apparently still think they're playing the Hall of Fame game. That's all I can take away from this week one. Um, the Broncos, I was very excited if you, you heard the preview that we did yesterday about seeing this defense with Vic Fangio. Um, to my dismay, they looked almost worse than they did under Vance Joseph. Uh, which is really concerning. Um, they made Derek Carr look like he was God's gift to quarterbacking, and I'm sure he's a he's a decent player. But I mean, he couldn't miss at the beginning. It just a completely flat performance. I don't know exactly what was going on. Sanders caught one fifty three yard bomb and got a garbage time TD. Kind of props up his numbers. The one real positive takeaway, if you're watching, Cortland Sutton looked great. He looked great. Early and often, he made a lot of big, tough catches and was dragging people along. And on the flip side, Deshaun Hamilton dropped a couple passes, including a touchdown that hit him in the chest as he was wide open in the end zone. So very forgettable game for him. And the Broncos' fourth receiver, Tim Patrick, broke his hand, so we may actually get to see a little Jawan Winfrey going forward. Curious to see what he'll bring to the mix. All right, for the Raiders side of things, as you were talking about there with uh, Derek Carr having a good game, 22 of 26, 259 yards, and a touchdown to finish his QB 21 with 22 points. Josh Jacobs, 23 carries, 85 yards, and two touchdowns, added 28 yards on one catch to finish his RB7 with 24 points. Tyrell Williams, wide receiver 17 with 22 points, 105 yards, a touchdown on six catches, and then Darren Waller had himself a game. Tied in eight, 14 points in this one, 70 yards on seven catches. What were your takeaway from the Raiders? That Darren Waller looked great. I think he's going to be a beast at tight end. He was one that I was high on prior to the game, and he did not disappoint. Josh Jacobs really dominated touches and looked very good. Uh, for those of us that thought Jalen Richard might get some run, even though the Raiders led pretty handily throughout this game, Jacobs was out there. 
uh, for almost all of the snaps, and he looked very good. If he can keep that up, he, people are really going to get a nice return on investment with him. The biggest surprise for me um, was Tyrell Williams. I thought it was going to be a little bit of a struggle, being as he was the only real name receiver. He had seven targets, caught six of them for 105 yards and a touchdown, including a 43-yard bomb. He did it against Isaac Yadam. He did it against Chris Harris Jr. He looked really good to me. Um, I was very impressed with what the Raiders did, and um, there was a lot of energy in the building, a lot of rallying cries as they said, as they chanted derogatory things toward Antonio Brown. Um, he may end up being a real rallying cry for them this season, and the Raiders on both sides of the ball looked better than I expected. Makes me wonder if they might be one of those surprise frisky teams this year. That would definitely be interesting. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today and breaking down all 16 NFL games. Looking forward to talking to you again on Thursday to preview what's likely going to be a craptastic game between the Buccaneers and the Panthers. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. If you got your popcorn ready. I came out the wall line already. It is in the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump.